Hello again, friends and shareholders, and welcome to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru right here on another one of those days, and there's a lot going on, and we're not reviewing anything, so hip hip hooray, but we got a lot to talk about. I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and here he is, the star, Mr. Jim Cornette. Wait till the sun shines, Willie. You know how I'm always saying, God damn, I wish you would stop raining the thunderstorms, the severe storms, the rain, the deluge, the downpour. Now we've been flung to the other side of the galaxy around here. I just saw the statistics that, that were statistified on the morning news. We've had less, and, and, well, right at an inch of rain in the past month, and that all came at the end of August, except for like a fucking mere, a mere drava, a mere, a mere skosh that we had the other day. Not even two tenths of an inch, I don't think. And the pollen is everywhere. You were making fun of me for hacking and snorting the grass pollen, the nettle pollen. Pollen Thompson. Pollen Thompson is all a big problem, (laughs) causing people to choke and puke. And I'm being expected to broadcast today because we are once again on the forefront, the the vanguard. Is that, pardon the pun, we're out in front of the pack. A lot of people were scoffing weeks and weeks ago when we started talking about this little local yokel weasel that stole our money. People were thinking, well, yeah, Cornette last. They got took. They could afford it. Blah, blah, blah. That ain't no big deal. Move on with the programming. And this thing is now blown up beyond any of our wildest dream. And they're not even, they're not even chasing the the original weasel now. There's weasels up and down the chain of command that are being investigated and interrogated and whatever you do to people who have committed heinous acts against the public good. And we got a report on that later on today, apparently coming up from from our new friend Coffeezilla. Make sure you check him out. He's got quite a following, and he's been following Colin Thompson and his ilk around. And uh, that report is coming out while we're doing this program. Is that correct, Great Brian Last? That is correct. It'll be we're, coming we're, out shortly uh, at some point here. Yes. So we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about. We know what's what's going on. The concept of it. We're gonna be talking about it within this very show and also as you said no review because god damn it it's my birthday coming up this weekend and you're already making me record on my birthday i'll have you know just so that's out there in the public that's not true and yes you are don't put that out in the public that's not true i'm not making you record on your birthday well, you said, hey, I, I can't record on Saturday the 16th. Well, what does that leave us? Where does that leave us if you won't do no jobs in a Superdome in front of 70,000 people, baby? Well, first of all, it's not about so, your birthday. It's about Rosh Hashanah. That's A. B. Okay, I've never heard of this Russian guy, a Russian girl, <laughs> Hannah. That's <laughs> not Who what I Russian said. Russian Hannah? That's uh, not what I said. But, are you are you stepping out on Suzanne with some Russian girl named Hannah? Beyond Rosh Hashanah, you said that you didn't mind. You said, you know, you volunteered it, actually, now that I think about it. You know, it is my birthday, but... And I'll cry if I want to. I'll cry if I want to. And I said, uh, thank you, Leslie. It's for the people out there that I'm recording, but it's my birthday this week. And I say, you know what? 
I'm going to take a couple days off from watching this, the, the wrestling this week because Raw Monday, Dynamite, Wednesday night, last night as we're speaking to, you, to the people, uh, didn't make as nearly as much news as all the commotion and the turmoil and the confusion and the bafflement and everything that's going on behind the scenes at all the companies. So we're going to talk about a little bit of that today, and then we'll catch up everybody on the experience this weekend of my birthday with anything that happened actually in the ring, because that's kind of secondary, right? Right. Right. It's true, though. I mean, we said it about all the stuff with Punk. That was the sad reality. All the backstage drama was more interesting than anything they put in front of the camera. And it's been that way for a lot of people for a number of years. As the business changed, you love the business of the business more than what the business puts on TV. Well, that's because that's the only thing that the people know or believe to be real about the business anymore is the business of the business. And the backstabbing is backstabbingness of the business. And so that's what they want to hear. They used to think the wrestling was real, so they wanted to hear about that. Now they sit through the shows just to see who's going to punch each other out in the locker room or who's going to own the WWE next year. By the way, Vince, we hardly knew ye. Hey. Only 40 years and you were out. <sighs> and is that picture real? Can somebody verify? No, come on, come on. You know it can't well, be. Well, no, but it, it, <laughs> I didn't. Hey, if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have said the goddamn Wayne Newton fucking Vegas era mustache and dye job wouldn't be real either. There's a picture going around of Vince and Triple H. Vince has got this fucking shiny purple suit on that you would believe with what he's done to himself over the last few months that we started seeing him out in public again, in public, if you will, you would think that he would wear something like this and he's got a goddamn, is it silk or satin? It's one of them shiny materials that rich people fart through. Do rag matching the purple suit on his fucking, it, he looks do. like goddamn gay Zorro. I don't know. A gay blade. Do. <laughs> And you know what? That Moxley missed a heck of a chance to be a pirate with that fucking in his voice. That's the only thing he's got going for him. No, look, I he saw good. I saw photos of the entire entourage around Endeavor at the stock exchange, and I saw what Vince was wearing. He was not dressed. He was not dressed like that. He was not dressed <laughs> like the Godfather. I don't even know how to describe it. He was not dressed like that, so someone... He was dressed like, like if Little Richard was going to an award show. He looked ridiculous. I mean, you can't take away from how ridiculous he looks, but it wasn't like that. Well, that, that lets me down. Um, are Kevin you Dunn. Did you see Kevin Dunn? Oh, yeah, Kevin exchange? Dunn with his new front teeth was smiling over the top of Vince's shoulder. So, so uh, greedily. Is because he knew he was getting another several million dollars for doing absolutely fucking nothing. Hey, what do you think Dana White thinks of Kevin Dunn? <laughs> I wonder if Kevin's going to be taking over the UFC uh, production over there. But uh, did you see that it was a... They couldn't even have choreographed this if they'd had a director for the shot. Because you see Vince standing there in all of his Raymond Navarro glory. Fairbanks. Fairbanks. <laughs> Fairbanks. The Black Pirate. And not Alaska. And he's standing there, and the only part of Kevin Dunn you can see is his head and his smiling 
new teeth peeping around the, to the side of Vince's head and neck and right over his shoulder to the point where that you couldn't see any any other part of Kevin Dunn. It looked like if one of them had been black, it'd be Ray Meland and Rosie Greer in the incredible two-headed transplant. It was just like Kevin was a growth that had suddenly come up on fucking Vince's trap or something. The, the trapezoid muscle. Beyond the teeth, I feel like the hair doesn't do him any favors to get away from the comparisons to small rodents. Well, he had to fucking shave it down to the nub because it's so, it's patchy. There's places it's, it's, it's summer hair. Some are here, some are not. So it's kind of patchy and he just kind of shaves it down so you can't tell as much. But he would look, I think somebody halfway snatched him at one point because there's a big, maybe he, he got sideways with Brett and Brett snatched him like he snatched Michael. He's got a big bald spot in the middle. But nevertheless, that was that was the the uh, the end of an era, and Vince goes out like the, like a true pirate. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Just the idea that now it's official. Now WWE is owned by a different entity. It, you know, a lot of people. It is the end of an era, and a lot of people saw a landmark moment. And it is in a way, but in a way, at the same time, the WWE has been so big for so long and so removed from what an actual pro wrestling promotion is or would be or has been that I don't know if they can, if they can change it too much more. They fire a bunch of the people that have worked there a long time and do what they're doing now worse because of lack of experience at whatever. But can they really change it that much more from away from pro wrestling than what it is now? Yes. <laughs> yes, and I'm sure they will try. Well, I saw Dana White said something to the effect of, because uh, one of the, the high muckety mucks in this new conglomerate they got going on that's not really on the, the front lines of either the MMA game or the wrestling game, he just, one of the corporate whoever's, said, oh, we want to make sure that every UFC fan is a WWE fan and every WWE fan is a UFC fan. And Dana White shit all over that. He said, that's, he said, there's a very small <laughs> I didn't see crossover. This. Oh, yes. I see. He says, there's a very small crossover. And most of the people that like UFC aren't going to like WWE and vice versa. That's why we'll get a bunch of people under our umbrella, but it's ridiculous to think that we can convert one side to the other. That's how he started his fucking business. Was piggybacking the ultimate fighter off the wrestling audience because before this bunch of sissified, vagina-wearing fucking pussies infiltrated the goddamn wrestling business and made it a combative gymnastics exhibition it was the same audience people wanted to see people beat the fuck out of each other slobber knockers and that's where dated part am i misremembering history because i've got a brain tumor or did he not piggyback the ultimate fighter off of the wrestling audience to get established you could argue that vince mcmahon saved the ufc the ufc became a phenomenon on pay-per-view in the 90s then they lost pay-per-view distribution because of John McCain waging a campaign against it, calling it human cockfighting and barbaric and everything, and the pay-per-view 
companies felt the pressure and dropped it. They chased regulation. New ownership came in, including one of the former regulators. And Dana White was a part of that. And they were floundering. They had a couple pay-per-views that did okay. I think Frank Shamrock or, no, Ken Shamrock, maybe. Yeah. Ken Shamrock and Tito, I think the first time, maybe. And then they needed something to save the company. And I believe it was Spike TV. They went to Spike with the Ultimate Fighter, and Vince had to give the okay because it was going to air after Raw. And and for for the young for the younger folks, we're not misspeaking. There was a period of time where Raw was on Spike, right? And if there was ever going to be a crossover audience, this was a way to try to test it out. And that series saved the UFC. It saved the pay per view business, and it kind of led to where we are today: the Ultimate Fighter season one. So, but now he's have, and and actually, I can probably believe him now. There probably isn't a crossover because all those people that used to watch wrestling see somebody get beat up are sick and tired of watching children fucking pleasure themselves at our expense. Any other, thoughts, any other thoughts about Endeavor's ownership uh, so far? Um, oh, I thought you meant any other thoughts about pleasuring yourself at our expense. Same thing. Uh, same thing. Uh, I... I Let's wait and see what, because Vince is still alive. When when Vince is gone and Triple H just buys an island in the Pacific for his heart. Uh, hologram, hologram Vince. I'd, I'm still going for the head in a, in a glass tube or jar or whatever before we go with the hologram. I think Vince would have to want to be there in the flesh in some description, at least some of the flesh. Cryo Vince. Now, I'll tell you what, here's another thing. Not all superheroes wear capes, Brian Last. I'll have you know. Have you heard that? Have you read about that? I mean, I've heard that in the past, yeah. There are some superheroes that come in a box, and anything that comes in a box is over, and so are the Midnight Express 40th anniversary action figure sets. They're over with the people. They're flying off the shelves, and now I don't even have an exact count. Because I, I let the feather bottoms rest for a day. But there are now an opportunity with the ones that have already been sold and the anxious customers are awaiting delivery of same, which is probably going to happen early. I've already signed the first couple hundred pictures and the feather bottoms may be fulfilling the pre-orders even earlier than we thought, or at least starting. But also, where was I going with that? Oh, I'll tell you, there are now less than 900. <laughs> Stop laughing at me. I've had a hard week. I'm very tired. Please excuse me. There are less than 900 people left in the world that are going to get an opportunity to own these things because that's how many we got left and they're going fast. So if you go right now to jimcornett.com, click on the banner on the home page, it'll take you straight to the listing and you can have your very own collector's edition of not only the four action figures in a display box heavily illustrated but also the 28 page full color book the signed photograph reunion picture signed by dennis and stan and personalized by myself and the certificate of authenticity for the package get them while they're hot and as i mentioned the pre-orders are going to start going out even earlier than we thought and our Christmas season on sale, where all of our fine merchandise goes back on sale, the t-shirts, the DVDs, the books, the plethora of items, Saturday, October 7th at noon Eastern, 
then you can purchase everything. As we met, we took all the other merchandise down to be able to handle the rush of the pre-orders for the midnight sets so we can get them all out to the uh, folks before the holidays. Now we're going to be bringing that merchandise back on October 7th. And again, I've talked to Stan, I've talked to Dennis, and I've talked to Bobby's kids. And they're especially, Dustin especially is grateful because he's got twins coming for Christmas. And he will be able to start getting distribution of the proceeds from this because all the money is being split equally amongst Dennis, Stan, myself, and Bobby's kids and grandkids. So he'll be able to have a nice Christmas present when he gets his Christmas basket of kids this year. But anyway, jimcornet.com, did I mention that? You did. Well, good. Then mention it again. Jimcornet.com. See? We harmonized. That's right. Well, what's going on in the world of wrestling? Oh, boy. It's another exciting day and another exciting week in the world of professional wrestling. Let's start with the thing that a lot of people seem to be obsessed with. It came out yesterday, Jim, due to a Freedom of Information public request or public records request that was filed that All In in London had 72,265 people go through the turnstile. That is something that the British government, I guess, keeps track of. So Tony Khan, because he's been so behind the 81,035 number and very forceful in pushing it, a lot of people are using this information as a way to kind of, it seems like they just want to embarrass Tony with it, actually. Well, and I'm not going to be as hard on Tony and, and his friends as people would think, but first let me explain the turnstile count, and it's also called the drop count, and that comes from back in the old days, back in the black and white days, right? If you attended an event at an arena of any kind, basketball game or circus or whatever the thing was in an arena, some arenas back in the old days didn't have the turnstile gimmick, and then when the turnstiles came in, they were just turnstiles. They were, some of them weren't hooked up to anything. They were just a way to, to funnel the people in without them fucking stampeding. But the turnstile count, it was the same as the drop count because in the old days, I don't know, Brian, if you're even old enough. I mean, I'm sure you've been to clubs or whatever where they tear the tickets manually. But at arenas, that's how it started out. You had ticket sellers at the window that sold you the ticket, and you had ticket takers at the door that when you went to the door to go in the arena, you handed them your ticket. They tore it in half. They gave you back the the ticket stub, which indicates that you have your seat and blah, blah, blah. And they would drop the other half into the fucking bucket or slot or whatever that they had at the door. And then the promoters and the arena manager later on, they would do the checkup. And if there was any discrepancy, if the promoter said, God damn it, you're screwing me. I should have more than this or something's wrong they would actually take the fucking ticket stubs out and do a goddamn manual count, which was, you know, problematic. But this was all the days before 
computers. So drop count became turnstile count when all these, especially big buildings, got wired up to where every time that turnstile turns, it registers. And there used to be a deal in the wrestling business when the promoter thought that somebody might be double dipping. We've explained on the show here in the past before how that if the building was responsible for either selling the tickets and taking the tickets, building personnel, two people working together, could double sell the tickets and pocket the money. You sell a ticket at the ticket booth, it gets torn, but instead of the fucking a general admission ticket, instead of the stub going in the bucket, it goes back around and they fucking sell it again. Or they don't tear it, in other words. They just take the fucking ticket. It's a general admission, go on in, send it around, and sell it again. So they, the promoters used to have a hand clicker. Every, and they would put some stooge near the door. And that stooge near the door would have a hand clicker in his hand, and every time somebody walked through, he'd click it again, and it would register. And if there was 1,200 people in the building paid, said that there was only 972 or whatever, then there was chaos to be had. But there is always discrepancies in the number of tickets sold and the turnstile count or the drop count because depending on the size of the event, You've always got people that, well, we got tickets, but we couldn't get a babysitter. We got tickets, but the kids got sick. Or we got tickets, but we had a chance to get laid. I know that doesn't happen often with the AEW audience. So it's entirely feasible that in any event, AEW or not, there will be some no-shows of ticket-purchasing patrons so that you can't have more people in than people that bought tickets or got comps, but you can have fewer people in than bought tickets or got comps. See, because everybody gets a comp doesn't go. Radio station giveaway, well, they didn't, they didn't have any money in it. What the fuck's too far to drive? Blah, blah, blah. So, now the problem becomes that not only was it 10% of the fucking announced house, almost 10,000 people difference, or 9,000 people difference. But I saw somebody, it may have been Thurston Howell over at WrestleNomics, said that if the, that generally from an inside source, they're hearing that there are up to 20% of the people that purchase tickets don't actually fucking go or the 20% of the tickets that are sold don't actually show up to a lot of the house shows and events. And that's a really large percentage. Yeah. And that wouldn't be happening with any other company. And I've said this before, I'm not even accusing Tony of saying, oh, I got to buy 10,000 tickets. I've said that this is a crowdfunding thing. The most devoted, desperate for AEW to succeed fans will buy. They bought all-in tickets. They bought, they buy whatever. Even if they can't fucking go, they figure it's supporting, it's a GoFundMe for their goddamn favorite wrestling promotion. And I think their priorities might be 
better serve putting a new roof on their house or whatever than buying a ticket to a show that they're not going to go to. But there's really no other way to explain that because the biggest event of all, I believe with the 81,000, because they said these are the number of tickets that were sold. That is always more than the actual drop count. But in this case, it's a disturbing percentage of people for the biggest show ever. And they still didn't sell out Wembley Stadium because that would have been 90,000 people. So it's not like, you know, they they lied to to WrestleMania-level standards where they say more than the place would even hold is two different statistics. But when Tony came out afterwards and said, oh, I, I bet there was 90,000 in the building. By the time you added all of the people and the, you know, I guess the roster and the goddamn workers and whatever, because I think he really thought there were 81,000 people that bought tickets in the building. And then they found out, well, shit, you know, there weren't. Is that what we should believe, that Tony was told when he said, what's the house, that this is how many people bought the ticket, so he went out there and just ran with that? Yes, because, well, see, here's Because for the him thing. to say that there were at least 90,000 people there, that means he thought all of those people were there, and if he had any idea of the turnstile count, that means Tony lied about it. Well, but here's the thing. Brian, I have been around promoters and promoting myself for 40 years. And unless there was an argument amongst the promoter and the building management as to the money that one side was getting and the other side was given or whatever, I've never heard of a promoter asking for the turnstile count. They always okay. how many tickets did we sell? That's important. So they wouldn't have they wouldn't have come up to that. Well, Tony, we sold eighty one thousand tickets, but goddamn, the big news is on the turnstile count, nobody would they. That's why this hasn't come up until now, because since it was a bone of contention with people wanting to disprove it, they filed the Freedom of Information Act. But every building has a turnstile count. It's just if the building is a private enterprise, there's no reason for you to, there's no way for you to get it unless they want to give it to you. But since apparently, I would imagine Wembley Stadium and this historic venue is owned by the government or in some way administered by the government that you can do that. I don't know if you can just go down to the goddamn Yum Center in Louisville or whatever and say, hey, give me the turnstile count for X, Y, and Z, but I know they've got it. I think part of the issue is, and why I think, and it's somewhat unfair, I think, Tony's getting hit with this so hard. I look at Tony, look at what he said. Look at it. I mean, Will Ospreay got a fucking tattoo of it, of the number on his arms. <laughs> it was a big deal. It's his hometown. He could just put tickets sold underneath <laughs> it. I guess so. But I think part of the issue is because we always hear about this with WWE. And it goes back to the whole idea of what was the attendance for WrestleMania 3. Every year they do WrestleMania. Vince will announce 100,000 people. Maybe they sold, and again, I'm just throwing a number out there. I don't have anything from me. 89,000 tickets. And you're always like, how do you reconcile the number in between? That's, I think, what it is. I think people are trying to shove it in Tony's face just because they always hear about it with WWE. 
Well, and that's a, I mean, promoters, especially in wrestling, but promoters of anything have always exaggerated numbers or tried to in publicity, except as we've talked about here on the show, when it would have cost them money, when there was, you know, an athletic commission uh, supervising and collecting tax on a certain amount of money at the gate or whatever, the promoters didn't want the newspapers to say, oh, we made $50,000 more than we fucking said we did or whatever. But the question in the wrestling business used to be, first thing when the guys walked in the in any territory, in any lo- in every locker room, when they came in, if unless they were just the the preliminary guys that were happy to be there, you would find the local promoter, whoever was handling the the town for the company, and say, "What's the advance? How's the advance? Is it any good?" And usually they might ace, "Oh, we got a good advance or whatever." They might actually tell you, "Yeah, we got ten grand or whatever." But it was some indication of of the night to come, and then. If you were in a feature match and you gave a shit about your business, which is why I've I've got all of this, all these records in my books for these houses, you would ask what was the house because that's what you were getting paid on. And they would say, again, it was not in the promoter's best interest to tell you we did a hundred thousand dollars when only did eighty because then you were expecting you'd be paid on a hundred grand. And every once in a while, you know. If, if it was a big show, they'd round up a little bit to make it sound grand. That's why if you see any old Athletic Commission stuff, that's the bare minimum amount of people that were there. Yeah. and But but anyway, the thing is, they didn't tell you in number of fans that were in the building, they told you what the money was. Because the wrestlers didn't care if five people paid $1,000 each, it was a $5,000 house, right? Or 5,000 people paid a dollar. That had been easier to work in front of. But the money was the same thing. So in most cases, in my old records, we have extrapolated the number of people based on the average ticket prices at the time, and all buildings are different. So they're estimates unless we have the the counts. But in, in all that time, nobody ever said, again, unless there was a dispute, how many people are actually in the building on the people who bought those tickets? Well, God damn, we don't care. They bought the fucking tickets. But you could tell by the most people, it was a tiny percentage, uh, you know, in a 5,000-seat building. Maybe there might have been 100 or 150 or 200 or whatever, if that many, that for various reasons had got a ticket but couldn't get there. And we've all had that thing. You know, I missed my chance to see Roller Derby live. Here in Louisville, because I got sick and I had a fever. My mom wouldn't take me. We had tickets. So that happened, but not thousands of people. Especially if you're not getting a physical ticket, so it's not even like you have something to collect out of this. Yeah, so I think some people took it as a GoFundMe. We we just want to we want to get the ticket. We want to know we were there. I don't think Tony's nefariously buying you know, 10,000 tickets, but at the same time, I think he was genuinely amped up by everybody patting him on the head that there were 90,000 people in that place, and you wouldn't have another 10,000 almost people with the goddamn employees and the roster and the parking attendants and everybody else. So we're not 
shitting all over it. It's entirely believable. There are several different metrics. Did they, How many did they sell? How many comps were out? How many did actually showed up, whether they paid or got comp tickets? Those are all always different numbers. How many were bought from a Swiss bank account? Now, that may be a different number yet. But here's the thing. God damn it. I don't think if Tony was going to buy the tickets and artificially inflate the attendance, I don't think he would have done it in Wembley. I think he'd have done it in Cincinnati, where they had barely over 2,000 people in a fucking what looked like an NBA arena, and not only the television program, but the fucking pictures I saw on Twitter of the vast... I mean, it looked like Star Trek could be exploring it for five years. Um, it, so you would think that if he was going to buy his own tickets, he'd buy 2,000 tickets and send somebody with a couple of buses to the goddamn children's homes or... Do they still have homes for unwed mothers? Why buses? He's rich. Helicopters. Just drop them out of a helicopter. Well, no, you need you, that would be a lot, a lot of fucking helicopters. You can get fucking 60, 80 people on a fucking bus. Take it down to <laughs> take it over to fucking Newport. Bus them over to fucking Cincy. Or I'm saying if you're gonna buy your own tickets, buy them for the goddamn shows that look like piss holes in a snowbank instead of in Wembley. Well, in general, the AEW attendance issues have become a bit of a talking point because coming out of Wembley and all the bragging, and no matter what the number is, it's something Tony Khan should brag about. They did something amazing there just based off the brand and the energy around it. But they come home and Cincinnati for Dynamite, which we're not reviewing today, I think it was a little under 3,000. It was a few more than a little. Well, it was it was a little above two thousand, and then you and then you got to shave off the comps because well, here we go again, yeah. Is that the turnstile count, or is that who, who bought tickets? That's yeah, right. and and again, the and I had a report from somebody who was in Cincinnati said they were selling tickets at the end two for fourteen dollars, and couldn't get three thousand people in this giant building in the plumber's hometown. Apparently, they're all. They're all proud of him up there. And they're building to the annual Arthur Ashe Stadium show on Long Island, or in Queens, technically. I don't I don't think they I don't think they care too much about the plumber up there. He's not from he's not either from Long Island or Arthur Ashe Stadium. He's from Cincinnati. Right, but they And have... they don't like the plumber in Cincinnati. He's not yet overcome Taft as Ohio's favorite son. Well, in Long Island, they have MJF and AEW two years ago at Arthur Ashe Stadium. I think it was in the range of 20,000 fans. Last year, I think it was in the range of 13,000 fans as of mm -hmm. today for the show in a little less than a week. I believe it was under 7,000 tickets sold. Brian, what was the attendance for approximately, we're not going to go through that whole game again, but for Texas Stadium in 1984, Flair versus Kerry, Ooh, title change? I believe it was 32,000. And then what was the crowd for 1985 Texas Stadium? I'll answer that. It was a $250,000 house. That means about probably 22,000. They lost 10. You know, what was the crowd for 1986 Texas Stadium? Maybe 15, maybe, maybe at the most. 
And then did they the the was the eighty seven was the last one, right? No, they did one in eighty eight too. I believe. Oh shit! Okay, so they went. They got down to about five or six thousand, didn't they? Maybe less than that. I think AEW's outrunning them here. I believe they've they've gone from twenty to thirteen to five. They this is eighty forty five. You say eighty seven? What Jesus Christ? They'll be down to twenty five hundred. They kill the markets that they return to. It keeps happening over and over again, and. You know, let me ask you this. We all put so much focus, and rightly so because it is the biggest revenue stream. We put so much focus on the ratings. Vince Russo said something years ago, and it was so counterproductive, but when you look at the business today, it's almost like it became reality. When people would throw in his face, when he would deny any blame for the death of WCW, they would say, how show business died? Pay-per-view business died. And he would say, I wasn't hired for those things. (laughs) I was hired just to get the ratings up. That's my job. I'm a writer. It's not my job to worry about those things. And I think, unfortunately, maybe not with the same thought process behind it, that's what we have now. Everything's about what you're getting on TV. They really don't do much to make it so that you have to attend, so you feel you need to attend. And they're not even getting the ratings that Russo was getting in 99. Well, and see, that was the frustrating part about him also. He never, for one thing, he never plainly articulated that feeling that he had, which, by the way, is completely ridiculous. And any, the problem with hiring somebody that knew nothing about the wrestling business was that he didn't even understand the job they had hired him for. In the WWF, when he originally got into business, that still was the main stream or main revenue stream for Vince was pay-per-view, but he didn't like it because it was almost all matches and not any of his fucking dramatic effluvia. And in WCW, whether you like it or not, that was still their main, they owned the company. So without the pay-per-view revenue, they owned the, the network is what I'm trying to say. So it's not like they had the network paying them a ridiculous amount of money for the programming, they were them. And they weren't hauling in record numbers on advertising revenue on the TV shows, but they still had a business model where they could make millions on pay-per-view and buy ticket sales. But dipshit couldn't control that, and that was out of his goddamn... He couldn't be William Shakespeare and Stephen King rolled into one at the house shows because he'd had nothing to do with them because you don't need to write house shows and the pay-per-views were telecast house shows. He just wanted to do the goddamn shit that he could fucking... In his own way, he was Tony Khan playing with action figures, only they were somebody else's action figures he'd been put in charge of watching. And he didn't know how to take care of other people's fucking toys. And with Tony Khan, other than big matches or dream matches for certain fan bases in certain cities the show is a collection of skits and not good this isn't sctv folks this is not monty python a collection of bad skits and then some things around that i think because of that people feel they could stay home and watch it well and we go i'm sorry well i'm just we don't even know is Tony behind the skits or are the boys who are allowed to do mostly whatever they fucking want behind the skits to try to make sense out of the goddamn matches 
that he makes because we hear, well, they don't really write our promos for it. Well, it shows in a lot of cases, these mush-mouthed morons. But Tony is not a, not a booker. He's a, a matchmaker. And a matchmaker used to be a synonym for booker that you could use out in public. But they are two different things. Tony writes down matches. It would be cool if so-and-so wrestled so-and-so. And he writes it down. Why would it be cool? What is their motivation? Why are they mad at each other? Why do they want to compete against each other? Who wants to get even with who? What kind of story is told leading up to that? And what's your finish to lead down the road to another fucking clash between these two star-crossed individuals? He don't know that. He just thinks it'd be cool to watch them do their moves to each other. Fuck. You're getting me stirred up now. So yes, you need... Besides the fact that uh, I would have to think that even for the AEW fans watching their live events or their live TV tapings, like watching the TV, you see everything constantly all the time. And then at the end of it, what is your motivation to come back next time and see more of the same stuff you see every week with the same people? Cause he never gets rid of anybody. And now I know that a lot of the big stars don't want to show up and come to work anymore. They send in tapes and are not seen in front of the people, but still it's the same that there's no program or angle going on that requires you to, to buy tickets to see matches. You can watch the TV for free and see what MJF says to Cole and vice versa. And the one, the thing they had that might have been attractive was Punk and MJF to settle the title issue that they could have built toward, and that's gone. By the way, CM Punk is still the real AEW world champion. He was never defeated for it. Regardless of what he does with the belt, he just, that's, that's just, that'll be a fact for the rest of everybody's life. He's the, he would be the one guy that was never beaten for that fucking title. So there's no, it's, uh, that's what we were talking about three or four years ago. How long can the world's biggest crowdfunding operation continue to go on? Tony's a billionaire. Or his father is. He can spend all the money he wants on a wrestling promotion. But how much money can the fans spend supporting the promotion? So at first it was, yeah, we'll buy a ticket for all it. We'll do it. We'll buy everything. Now it's, well, shit, they're back in Cincinnati again. I'm a little short this month. It's not first time ever or once in a lifetime or. Or hot feuds. Hot I mean, feuds. People attend to see miss. hot feuds. Yeah, I mean, you, there's none of that. What's the hottest feud in AEW right now? What is the most, I'm not even going to use heat. What is the most energy right now as a feud? I guess maybe only MJF and Samoa Joe, but beyond that, what is the best feud in AEW right now? Or the hottest? Uh, 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 I mean, you know, the the particulars will sell. Well, the BBC hates the other people, whoever they, Who? you know. Yeah, they hate everyone. So there's yeah. no feud there. I guess you can maybe argue Omega and Callus. Does that feel like a hot feud? Nothing with Kenny feels hot. Or Callus. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't feel either hot or callous. So that's the thing. They have nothing. 
hot. They were able to ride the positive energy of the creation of the brand for so long. But we always said they're going to hit a wall and they're going to have to have the traditional wrestling things ready. Well, Feuds, the, angles, booking. They have run through and run past all that and gotten to the point. It's a story that I was told right when I first got in business. I wasn't there. I wasn't even there, but it had just happened. Was that, remember when Georgia Championship Wrestling invaded Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia, went on the, started doing the Northern Tours because that area was dark and wasn't having any live wrestling since the Sheik's territory. And several people told me that they loved going up there working, what was this, 81, 82? 82, 83. Yeah, whatever. They loved going up there because the people hadn't seen live wrestling and they rang the bell and they locked up and got a headlock and the people were screaming. Virgin territory was the word that used to be used amongst the boys where the people hadn't seen live wrestling in so long. They'd pop on everything. They were with everything. You didn't have to kill yourself. Don't run off and leave them. They're screaming as loud as they can scream, right? But where they made the mistake was Ole was still booking it like he was booking everything in Georgia that had seen regular wrestling on a weekly basis for the previous 40 fucking years. And they started doing run-ins too early. And they started doing fucking juice too early and angles too early to where they could have done the same business for a year, year and a half just with the normal wrestling, but they started hot shot and overloading it because they were treating it not like a virgin territory, but like a their whore's territory down south. Tony and all these guys have taken so many bumps, broke so much furniture, bled all over the place, been hit by vehicles, stadium stampede, no rules, no fucking, no rules, no regrets, no repercussions. What are you going to do now? And and he's our, and again, he had the two best talkers in the company, MJF and Punk, in in separate you know, uh, uh, issues that could both be interesting. Now he's lost one. Joe is doing a tremendous job as a heel, but Samoa Joe and MJF can't do everything. And everybody else is just a generic indie wrestler because they don't understand the nuances and the fucking past the superficial understanding of let's go out and do these moves to how to, for the long term, manipulate people's emotions rather than just numb them and make them immune to constant car wrecks. Is there a difference in what people will watch versus what people will pay to see? Sometimes, yes. I mean, you'll watch all kind of fucking horseshit for free, right? If you're bored. Yeah. Or just, you know, you're watching the kids or just, hey, it's hot outside. I'll just sit here and watch goddamn Teen Mom or whatever fucking bullshit. Remember, I I watched Honey Boo Boo six or seven different shows just because I was goddamn astonished that people like that could get on television in this day and age. But you ain't going to pay to go look at fucking Mama June stretch marks. So for several months, AEW TV typically started with an Orange Cassidy match, right? And 
even if you want to argue that because he started the show and that's typically one of the higher points in the show, he had a part to do with that rating. I'll give you that. But if you're doing that with him over and over again, but more and more people aren't actually paying to come see him. A, is that a problem if your revenue stream is purely based around ratings and not the house shows or the live attendance? And, uh, well, take it from there, actually. Do well, it. yeah. You know, again, if if something... If you, if you have a television show of any kind, right? What, what's a, a big hit as Seinfeld? Seinfeld was a big hit television show, right? Yeah, number one. Okay, but if, if suddenly they had gotten the opportunity, if Taylor Swift said, I want to come into Jerry's apartment in the middle of every show and do a fucking song. Well, she's the hottest goddamn musician in the world and a bunch of people want to watch her too. And I'm sure they'd, they pay to see her so they'd watch her for free. But does it fit the fucking show? Just because you've got a segment of the audience that will watch ironically, as the kids say, for this fucking clown, this joke, this parody of wrestling. Oh, he's making fun of all the fake shit that the rest of them do. He should divide up the three shows. Dynamite should be the wrestling show. Rampage should be all women. And then Collision should be like the AEW comedy hour. Well, but... They, Give all audiences what they want and let's see what happens. The problem is two of those shows would be overstocked and one of them would have guys out there for 30, 40 minutes stretching. I'll leave you to pick which one. Well, this has been the uh, live attendance AEW report, but Jim, if I was behind AEW, if I had money in AEW, some of the things we've talked about may make me think, you know, I'd like to take off my shoes and take off my socks and lay back and have a nice glass of wine. Oh, God, as soon as you talked about taking off your shoes and socks, I was like, wait a minute, we don't have foot powder on the, uh, on the docket this week, but we do have our friends over at First Leaf. You know, Brian, there's all kinds of reasons to to celebrate over the summer, and now the fall is coming up. You can celebrate family get-togethers, barbecues, pool parties, vacations, camping trips in the fall, the crisp air out there amongst the, the trees and the blossoms and the birds and the chipmunks and the squirrels and the rabbits and the raccoons and the coyotes and the bears. All that type of thing out while you go camping. You go camping a lot, don't you? Never. You, well, you should drink some wine. Then you'll want to go camping. But whatever you want to celebrate. And let's say little, little Johnny's testicles dropped last week. Get a case of wine and go to town. And the people at First Leaf make it so easy for you. Because First Leaf gets you personalized wine boxes delivered on your schedule. You even get to choose the day that the the box of wine comes, so none of these porch pirates can get involved. You'll be right there, and as I mentioned, they can they can bring it right to your door or window or whatever if you've got a hole in your the wall. Door, if, your front door, your front, no, no holes in the if wall. If you're what? currently living in a carport. <laughs> a carport? Well, listen, it has to be an actual address. I feel pretty firm in saying this. Most I mean, carports are at addresses. How would you... It, what, what, Do you have to be the person that lives in the house, or could you just be living in the carport? 
Look, I don't know. This is not in the small print here or the large print either, to be honest. Uh, well, I'm just trying to look at this small print. But all you have to do when you go to firstleaf.com, and by the way, that's F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F, for those of you who might be inquiring, you, you answer some quick questions about your likes and dislikes that they've got on the website and their expert team of wine pickers, the wine expert, the sommeliers, We'll select a customized assortment of world-class wines based on your preferences. So you just tell them, answer the questions. What pisses you off? And, and then they determine the right kind of alcohol to send you to take the edge off of that. Or in some cases, who pisses you off? Is it a family member, a politician, your boss? They've got a wine that will take the edge off of that hatred and lead to you not potentially having charges filed against you. All you got to do is tell them what you want to get over, and they'll send you a box of wine that'll help you out with it. Well, that's not exactly how the survey goes. It's more about your palate, your taste, what you're into, and also what you want to do at the end of your day. Are you someone who wants to watch TV or someone who wants to lay on the couch? You could do both and find out what's best for you with First Leaf. Or if you're just somebody that wants to do some drinking, you can have some wine delivered to your door. You never even have to go to the wine store. Or the liquor store, or liquor any other store. kind of store. Or the grocery well, store says, in some states. It says wine store here. Some people go to liquor stores. Some people go to wine stores. You know, they there's all kinds of liquor in the front, poker in the rear. There's all kinds of establishments. But every selection here is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like their wine, they will personally go to the vineyard that, that produced that wine and they will slap the women stomping the grapes around. No, there's no slapping of anyone, and there's no going to the vineyard and slapping any of these wonderful people making this wonderful wine. Now, you could check out for yourself from First Leaf. Well, and, and here's the thing. How do we know where their feet have been? That always, ever since I saw I Love Lucy, that bothered me. What if there's corns, calluses, carbuncles, cankers? Ingrown toenails. Anyway, that doesn't happen is... with First Leaf because they're, they're quality merchandise here. They, they've, they make sure the people stomping the grapes for this wine are wearing fucking boots, covering up all that ugly well, toe rash we, and everything. We, for, I think we could say that there's no one with any toe rashes, but we don't know for sure what method is used to create this wonderful wine. But we know that you could check it out today from First Leaf. That's right. To make sure you've got great wine when you want it this summer, you got to try First Leaf. Just head over to tryfirstleaf.com. Try, I already spelled First Leaf. Tryfirstleaf.com slash J-C-E. That's where you go. Tryfirstleaf.com slash J-C-E. Sign up. You're going to get your first six hand-curated bottles for just $44.95. They have picked these bottles out. Amongst all the bottles in the world, these are some of the best bottles. And then they took some wine and poured it in there. But these bottles are beautiful. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash JCE and get your first six bottles of wine for under $8 a bottle. This ain't no Thunderbird. It's not even Ripple. And Brian, I've told you many times what you get when you cross eggnog with Ripple. Egg nipple. It's not that. It's quality wine at an affordable price that the whole family can get stewed on. Tryfirstleaf.com slash JCE. 
Well, Jim, of course, First Leaf is a place you can go for a variety of reasons. You brought up celebration, and someone who, I guess the word is out, may potentially be celebrating a job change <sighs> is someone who we just recently were reintroduced to, <laughs> and that is Jade Cargill. Have you been following this? Uh, yeah, it's not hard, because everybody is talking about, once again, the illustrious Jane Cargill now is headed to the WWE from all the reports that we've heard. Well, the report came out last night, Fightful Select. Jade Cargill is believed to be finishing up with AEW. Sources within the company's tell Fightful Select. Sources within AEW and WWE both believe she's headed to WWE. And then it says full story coming to Fightful. We don't have their full story, but I think the news is there. <sighs> if it's true. So why would she, and if it isn't, why would it be there? So you got to assume this is happening. Well, you don't has, gotta, but you. Well, yeah, 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 you almost gotta because it sounds like something that would happen. Because again, I don't. I'm sure that Jane thinks that a bunch of people knew who she was because she said that on Twitter. That oh, people knew me before the wrestling. Well, we didn't. You weren't on fucking national television before, so whatever the fuck. But. She's never had a match. She's never been involved in the wrestling industry. They find her hanging out with Shaq. They train her at their own expense. I don't think she paid to go to wrestling school. They probably paid her while they were training her, right? And yeah. then... Well, she did some training before. I remember, I think we talked about it. She did train briefly in a few different places, I think, before she got there. Uh, and she had tried out for wwe i think a long time ago with maybe some other people who ended up getting in she tried out before she got to aew yeah and they were probably thinking well we don't really know if this woman's going to be committed enough to this because she seems a little flaky about it because she thinks she's somebody already so we'll pass and see if she has is serious enough to actually get into business that's probably what they thought after hearing all this because that's the point AEW, they find her, they train her, they pay her, they put her on television, they have her win 69 matches in a row, even though there is never there was never a long program with anybody or a rivalry. You mentioned it, it was almost like two different women's divisions. She was given her own belt that she was the first holder of. They put her over, even though, as again, no great rivalries, no great promos, no main pay-per-view matches, or they just have her come out and win every week that you see her until finally she does one job and then leaves and says, kind of fuck it. And then apparently, because she's still under contract for some extent, they bring her back. She beats up the goddamn top girl in the company and then they book them against each other and she does one more job to Statlander that hasn't even aired yet and now yeah see you later what the fuck between her and pockets they've had like over a hundred and something wins with like fucking four losses amongst the two of them if you gave I don't know, Samoa Joe, that push from the start, or a, even a Jay Lethal. 
for heaven's sake, or any other member of the fucking roster that people could take seriously and that knew how to fucking lock up before they walked in the company and signed a contract. If you gave them that kind of push, what do you think might happen? Maybe they'd actually do something to draw some fucking money. You know, the thing about Jade is, though, with all the faults, she's someone that showed at times she could pop a number. This is with no feud. No true character development other than telling Tony Schiavone to cut the shit and calling TBS that bitch show. There really wasn't much else. She had a couple different managers, I think, right? And then she's had a few different people in her stable. They all kind of just came and went without any kind of big feud. It never went anywhere. If you're her and you do want to go forward in wrestling and you're at this point, I guess, contractually, would you want to go back to AEW or would you want to Take this as your shot to go to WWE. And also with that question, you're brought up, she's an athlete. We may not have known her, but she was an athlete. If you come from a system of structure, of coaching, of seriousness, it has to, I mean, it's going to be night and day for her to go from AEW to WWE. Well, yeah, and there's no way to tell because we don't know her personally. We don't know what her mindset is. You were asking me if, you know, if you wanted to go further, would you stick with AEW? Well, no, I wouldn't. But is this something she's serious about? Or was this, uh, you know, she was serious about her, what what sport did she play? Volleyball? What was going on? Basketball? I thought it was basketball. I thought it was basketball. Okay, well, I'm not, I'm, I seriously couldn't remember. She was serious about her basketball. Was she thinking that, oh, this is the wrestling, this is fun, and I'll go out and be a star and look at my body and they'll put me over? And, you know, was was she taking it like that? Or was she thinking, I can do this, this, I'll be a big star, and I'll make a lot of money if I get good at this. But now I've reached an impasse with this company I'm at because they don't know what they're doing. Is she that motivated and bright to figure that out? See, I think it's that just because... Without knowing this unique situation, if you are one of the people that decided you wanted to be a wrestler or started watching wrestling within the last 15 years, 20 years, it's WWE. You saw WWE and you thought, I could do that. I mean, you heard Britt Baker say it. I saw the Bellas and I said, I could do that or I wanted did, to do that. Did Cargill see anything or did she just well get offered was well, she Lex Luger? What I'm going to say is even in the, that period of time, if she's getting offered that and this is what she's seeing there, and then she goes to AEW, and while she's in AEW, what can we also see? She's not on Wembley. She obviously thinks really highly of herself, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but she's not on Wembley. She sees what WrestleMania is. She sees the way Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair and the women there, the top women there, are presented. She may not be up to their level, and I don't think she is in the ring. We have not seen anything to show us that she is. Not to say that she couldn't be better, but we haven't seen anything to say she's at that level. Those women had better training. But I could see if I was Jade Cargill, I would say I want to... It means a lot to me to show my daughter what I could do. I want to be at WrestleMania. Okay, but then... Does she go there like a babe in the woods? Because she's never been asked to do jobs and she's never, I mean, she's not even not experienced going to small towns for no money or shit shows or what that type of thing. But she's never experienced not only a company with structure, as you mentioned, but also where 
she's not going to be treated like the the star, the 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 big deal. You don't have to put people over. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that anybody ever asked her to put anybody over, and she ever said no. But now that she's used to this, and it ain't gonna be that way uh, in New York. Is she going to go, well, why should she beat me? Is it going to be like one of the the Ultimate Warrior things, uh, the Hellwig in Memphis? Well, why should I put that fat guy over? He couldn't really whip me. I mean, you know, if she's, if she's smart and dedicated and has kind of got a grasp on what this is, she'll do well. If she has been catered to by these people and gets the culture shock of going into the WWE, she may not do well. With that said, if she showed up in NXT and started doing jobs, I would have a problem with that. I think because she is coming off AEW TV and she was, again, one of the people that popped right. the number, you can't bring her in and do that WWE thing of, you know, we're going to teach you a lesson and you're going to lose right away to our champion. No, but you can't, she also can't expect to go in and work one day a week and win for three years. That's there, right. You know, she shouldn't be beaten out of the gate just to prove something. If you don't like her attitude or you're not sure about her attitude, don't fucking hire her. But if they bring her in and push her as a star, yeah, she's going to have to put Rhea over. She's going to have to put Becky over. She's going to have whoever at some point. It's not going to be for three years. We're just going to give you 10 minutes to go out there, pose, beat somebody, and pose again. If Tony was aware. And I would think that he would be that the contract was coming up, that she had limited time left. If there was even the thought that the story could get out, why would they put her back on TV? To beat up Chris Statlander. To beat up well, the champion. But And then they taped, I I've, I've saw this on Twitter this morning, they've taped the match already, Statlander beats her. She did a second job. Oh, I didn't even see that yet. Yes. Really? But, well, and that's the thing is... It, it, this was like, goddamn, I'm double parked. Uh, so I'm going to do this angle. I'm going to do that match and see you later. It, there was. She's been training with Eddie Gilbert. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, that's a deep cut for the, those who know they know. But the, that's what I'm saying is this had to be a sperm of the moment thing. And maybe is that. Did she say, well, I'm not coming back, so you can just pay me, or elsewise I'll come back and do one thing you want me to do, and then you can let me go, or something like that? Was that it? We don't know. I'm sure we'll find out. Was it, I want to go to WWE? No, you still have some time left on your contract, so we have you for another two weeks. So we're going to put you on TV? It's, it's... Is it worth it? That's the question. Is it worth it if you have someone for a month left, and everyone knows they're leaving? And this has happened before. Is it worth it putting them on TV? Well, and did they think that when she left before, after losing her first loss, that uh, she was just going to quit wrestling, but now they've heard she's going there, so they want... Tony, well, she's got to come back and put Statlander over first, or I won't let her out, or, or maybe her contract, they were just running the contract out anyway, but they heard this, they, well, we've got you for two more weeks, so hustle up over here and put this girl over. And remember, it's not Vince running the show anymore. It's a different system now. He's maybe the CEO or the chairman, but the people running the show, this is the entertainment business. Even though it's UFC and WWE, these are people that come from Hollywood. These are Ari Emanuel's, maybe the most successful Hollywood agent of all time. So for a Jade Cargill, 
if you see yourself as a star and you want to be a star, I'm sure these guys know what to say so that you realize you have a better chance of doing it here because of the flywheel than you would anywhere else. <laughs> well, I hope Jane's movies are big hits. She isn't in movies. She will once she cuddles up to Ari Emanuel. Jade versus Rhea Ripley. Ooh, that would be a that would be a test of Rhea's abilities at oh, this point. Maybe we could finally get the finish of the uh, Jade Cody Brandy feud. Now that there you go. <laughs> come on, that'd be great. There you go, because that way Brandy could come out, and once again, it's open mic night, bitch. Brandy's taglines are better than Cody's taglines. Yeah, Brandy's not. What do you want to talk about? She's like. It's open mic night, bitch. <laughs> She's like, I'm from Detroit. That's what it becomes. Actually, I thought she was from Hamtramck, but I, I digress. Well, Jim, let's get uh, some more things here on the show. A lot of people have been sending in a lot of different topics uh, throughout the day, and I am pulling one up right now. This one, I'll actually go because it's posted on the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. James Lingford posted this. It's apparently Brian Alvarez tweeted out, Vince is gone. We can stop laying chin locks already. This is old, though. It says September 20th. Vince is gone. I think we can stop laying in chin locks already from last year. And Dustin Rhodes had responded, as long as we all have pro wrestling, the audience wants to be told a story. Chin locks, when used right, give the audience time to get behind the babyface. It's not go zero to 100 the whole match gotta let things breathe there needs to be moments to get the story across now again this is an old tweet but several people... what this is is a reasonable adult speaking to a fucking petulant child i was gonna say several people this morning for some reason this must be going around i've been sending this in but what are your thoughts on chin locks and the discussion here well, I, I can understand why Alvarez doesn't like chin locks because at his minute microscopic size, if he was to put one of those fucking buggy whip arms, the m muscles on his arms look like mosquito bites on a strand of spaghetti. If he was to wrap one of those around a grown man's neck and start squeezing, it would look ridiculous. So he can't do them. So he thinks they're bad. Wrestling was not meant for five foot six, 140 pound gymnast to vault off of each other. It's a wrestling contest and a chin lock is a way to hold a motherfucker down. The only reason you shouldn't do it is if it looks completely ridiculous because you are the size of a fucking festering flea. So I, I guess that's why, what is, again, last week he told, Austin Theory quit with the boring 90s style of wrestling. You know what? That must be why this is going around. People must now be seeking out like different things he has said. Yeah, different stupid opinions that he has expressed. The boring 90s style of wrestling, when wrestling was 10 times more popular than it was, than it currently is right now. That was boring. That's because small, children-sized adult individuals like Brian Alvarez can't be believable unless they're doing the goddamn Nadia Komenichi routine from the uneven parallel bars. And that's just something to look at. Unless it's at the Olympics, eh. 
Again, every case is different. There are some extreme examples that are hard to justify, like, you know, John Studd and Andre the Giant being in bear hugs for eight minutes or something like that. But beyond that, extreme examples, and both were big stars who drew money. Well, yes. Uh, the term, and is the term rest holds appropriate or unfair to what the holds actually are or what they well, should be or how they should be used? You know, that's not a wrestling term. And rest holds. Ne never rest hold was never a wrestling term in the industry, in the business. It was the first uh, generation or incarnation of sheet writers, notably Uncle Dave, but a number of others. I, I can't say he started it, but they perpetuated it because they were still on the outside of the business looking in. So they had to give names to things that they observed and didn't fully understand so rest hold became a thing a wrestler any wrestler down through the history of the business through the territory days or whatever would never say rest hold because what the fuck he said i'll grab a hold or get me in a hold because that's where you had to slow down to communicate when you were calling things on the fly and it was if, if happening and unfolding in front of the people, you didn't have a goddamn script or a set pattern of shit to do. Also, you grabbed a hold when not only when you were confused or needed to know what to do next, but you grabbed a hold as part of the heat if you were a heel to make the babyface suffer so that the Ricky Morton or the Ricky Steamboat could sell the fucking arm or the leg or the whatever the fuck he's being worked on and get the people involved so that they can start cheering for him to get to his feet and he starts slowly coming to his feet to start fighting back or if you're a baby face you're using a hold on the heel because you've just thwarted him somehow and gotten a pop and you slap an arm bar on him or a face lock on him or a headlock or whatever the fuck so the people are cheering you so that again you can go to the next thing it's a building anticipation or building sympathy for the baby face if he's down. It's a wrestling match. And then you do the high spot, which is called high spot, because it's a high spot in the match. It's not 100 miles an hour constantly. There is no high spot in a car race until somebody hits the wall. Elsewise, it's just 100 miles an hour. This is a fucking roller coaster. It's an ebb and flow. It's a fucking up and down. It's you're manipulating people's emotions by telling a story in the ring of, of people in combat or in contest with each other, and the advantage shifts back and forth. Or you can just go out there and fucking vault off each other like a bunch of rejects from the goddamn cheerleading team. All right. Well, with that said, we will move on to our uh, next thing here, Jim, and they cross a few things off the list. Including asking me that question again. That's what you're crossing off the list, right? Well, Jim, I was going to say to you that what I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say to you that, you know, it's times like these that I could really use a good lie down. A good transition. A good transition because maybe I need some help sleeping because of something having to do with all of this. You got a lot of stress on you, don't you? 
You got a lot of stress. Could could you use more calm? More calm. Brian? Yes, please. You need better sleep. You already said that. Better right. sleep. Yes. You know you got the bad knee. You got the pain. The pain and inflammation. This is a known fact. And obviously, by the slipshod uh, uh, example of a transition you gave to this commercial spot, you need to enjoy better focus and concentration. Certainly, slipshod. 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 See, you can't even, I can't even say it. I can't, it's the CBD. It's so wonderful. Well, God, no, you need some of this. You haven't had it yet. See, don't tell them you've had it now, or else they'll think, well, it'll turn me into a bumbling buffoon, too. But you'll have it when hey. you get off the program. Yes. And that's the, the common benefits, folks, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. But is there an age limit on this? I don't know if it's... There is an age limit, not children of all ages. In fact, no children whatsoever, just adults of adult age. Well, either that or if you've got a a, a fucking ID that'll pass muster, we're not going to nope. look too close. But nope. This ain't CBGB. You're not getting in here with your fake... Well, you couldn't get in there either with your fake ID. I saw so many people get their IDs confiscated. They had a whole wall of them. But no, this is for legal adults, and you should be one. If Are you a legal adult? Have you ever committed a crime, Brian Last? No, never. If you have ever committed a crime, then you're not a legal adult. I've never or, committed a crime. Well, you I bet you anything that you have reproduced without the official written permission of Major League Baseball. Well, actually, I have committed a crime. If I'm going to be honest, I, I speed. I've sped in the past. I, I, don't, I don't currently speed, but maybe I go fast. You've sped it in the past, though. Well, folks, regardless of what your problem is, just load up on the CBD. It's going to help you out. 90% of customers report better sleep with CBD from the folks at CB Distillery. 81% say CBD helps with stress and anxiety. 80% report less pain after physical activity. And 2.6% report that they were riding on the edge of a lightning bolt, baby. And at CB Distillery, they've got a full range of carefully formulated CBD and other plant-based solutions. Let's say you, you, you want to eat a marigold. That's a plant-based solution, and it's going to help out a variety of things. If, if it's good for you, they've got it at cbdistillery.com. 100% clean ingredients, no artificial colors or flavors or preservatives. This shit looks just like tofu. It just, it has no color, no flavor. It just becomes one with whatever's around it. And the best part about all the products at cbdistillery.com, recommended by Dr. Kevin Fry, who is a Mayo Clinic trained internist and prevents health on a regular basis. That's the best part? I mean, no disrespect to Dr. Kevin Klein. Is that his name? Kevin Klein? No, Kevin Fry. Kevin Fry. Kevin Klein's an actor. He was in Silverado. No disrespect to Kevin Klein or Kevin Fry, but I think the best thing are the actual benefits of the CBD, not the doctor behind it. Well, you know, it's, it's coming from, from a good place, and it's, it's not dangerous. It's recommended by a doctor. He went to the Mayo Clinic, and he's a, pre a preventive health specialist, not a, prevent a specialist in preventing health. I guess that's the same thing. Is it flammable or inflammable? I'm not sure. There have been over 2 million satisfied customers at cbdistillery.com. And if you've got a health concern that's not getting better, again, you need better sleep, you've got stress, you've got anxiety, you've got pain after physical activity, you need to focus and concentrate more. 
You've got an unsightly growth on your taint. Whatever your issue is, and it's not getting better, well, this won't cure that. Well, this this won't cure that. Let's make sure we specify this will not cure any sores on your body. After it gets past the size of a rutabaga, then you're on your own. A rutabaga, really? You cannot use this shit on any growth that's bigger than a rutabaga. But you can try CBD from the source that we all trust, and that's cbdistillery.com. And right now, we can put you on the right path, folks. As long as you do not have any gross on your body bigger than a rutabaga, you can get a 20% discount by going to cbdistillery.com and entering my code JCE for your discount. No prescription required. You don't even have to get your mother to write a note. Kids, get your parents' permission before ordering cbdistillery.com promo code jce 20 percent off as long as you don't have a growth the size of a rutabaga cb distillery well jim moving on here with the show we're going to uh, change topics briefly we'll get back to some wrestling and some classic wrestling talk in a little bit but as we've been talking about now for weeks there's a playlist on youtube the colin thompson cast media live one podcast one saga We've been a part of it. We've been following it. We've been hoping that we've been breaking it. We've been breaking it, but also we've been hoping that others would pay attention to it. And we've been very busy behind the scenes talking with a lot of different people. And here, as we are recording, a brand new video by CoffeeZilla came out. The name of the video, by the way, let me get the exact name Exposing a Podcast Scam. And it's on YouTube right now, it's on my social media. Jim, what are your uh, first thoughts about all this? You know, I got to be honest. I didn't know of Mr. Zilla's work. I'll call him coffee. I feel like now we're all on the same side. But he has a massive following. Now, you know, Brian, we are the number one pro wrestling podcast. Yes, ever. That's without question. But but Currently at the same and time, ever, yes. Currently and ever. But at the same time, I'm willing to realize that there are four or five people in this world with a bigger audience than ours. And CoffeeZilla's one of them, and, and, uh, and our friend Theo Vaughn, he's done quite well for himself. Yeah. And again, I've, I've alluded to it earlier in the program, but a lot of people thought, ah, they're just pissed off at this guy, and they're going to have fun just fucking with this guy, this loser, this weasel Colin Thompson, and it's not going to come to anything because the guy's just some some bum. But we knew that there was a little bit more going on to this thing, and we were following the trail of weasels that were swimming upstream. And we decided to do our own due diligence and investigation on exactly what was going on. And we've been talking about this because we knew that it was bigger than just a wrestling podcast, than just some local yokel, than just us getting screwed over. Then we revealed the number of podcasts and the, the fact that he owed a bunch of people more money than he owed us. and then uncovering that the whole plot of why he was doing this, running this Ponzi-type situation, robbing Peter to pay old Paul, was to build this thing up to eventually either sell it or sell stock in it, which has now been vindicated. That's exactly what he was doing. And that's where our friend Rob Ellen came into the story, and, and people are looking into him and his behavior. But uh, in the meantime, this video that CoffeeZilla just did 
talks about me. Of course, I was unavailable for comment. You are, uh, uh, your comments are in the piece, as well as other people in other fields of podcasting, saying the same thing that we've been saying. We were the first ones because we were basically the only ones that don't give a shit because we're in a wrestling business. But finally, other people say, you know what? They're saying it, and nobody's fucking with them. It must be, you know, it must be a defense if you can tell the truth about people. So we're going to tell the truth, too. And now, not only has Colin Thompson been forever painted as a thief and a fraud and a liar, and, and in Coffeezilla's video, you get to see and hear Colin Thompson lying from his own chicken lips. Not only about us, by the way, Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084, also heard you lie about us, Colin Thompson, from your own chicken lips, accusing us of shady behavior that CoffeeZilla shot down like that because it was fraudulent, a fraudulent claim. But not only is all that going on, Colin Thompson has been painted like this, but Rob Ellen is starting now to reap the rewards of his treachery because i don't know how many companies he owns but apparently the stock in every single one of them is dropping through the basement it's so far underwater jacques cousteau wouldn't buy this shit so this whole thing is coming down and not to toot my own horn or anything like that brian but Well, we knew it all along. We knew it all along. We knew that, the, that he wanted to sell all along. Remember, we wanted a key man clause. That's why we were at a contract for over two years, because I insisted on an out clause in case there was a sale or any kind of change of management, and he wouldn't give it Because we me. were starting to smell something that was cooking. Well, we will get to Rob Ellen and Live One and Podcast One probably on the next show or something, because we really should well, focus just on the this. Stock, the stock price is just, is just comedic. Well, yeah. Now, did, didn't you say actually now not only the podcast one stock that started at eight dollars it is now two dollars and whatever fucking cents but didn't you tell me that if live one the parent company stock is it a dollar something you'd have to have a suitcase to buy dinner with these this fucking stock and if it goes any lower they could lose the opportunity for people to fucking trade them on nasdaq because it's so fucking cheap well like i said we will discuss it because it's a lot of stuff going on there the only thing i do want to make an important note we talked about last time how the statement was issued by podcast one when the stock went public that colin thompson will not be a part of the company no cast management will be working for live one or podcast one i can tell you that i've heard from shows that colin's still recruiting for podcast one it's like the old WWE thing. You don't work here. You're an independent contractor. He's not working there, but he's right now working on their behalf and maybe his own behalf too, actually, to get shows to sign with Podcast One. And according to CoffeeZilla, it's not just that the shows get stock. For every show that goes over, Cast Media gets stock. Who's Cast Media? Colin Thompson. So in order to bail him out for what he did to all of us, which is a crime, he benefits as well. And, and they're giving him stock in whatever company for every show that goes over from cast media to podcast one, and he's trying to get them to go over as quickly as possible because every second that they don't, 
he gets less money because the stock is tanking and continues to tank, tank, tank. So he's trying to hustle everybody and get them to hurry up and do this wonderful thing so that he can profit from it after he stole their money. Well, on that topic, CoffeeZilla looked into this. Where did the money go? Now, we're going, at least in this video, with the idea that it's $4 million. I have no reason to believe it is just $4 million. No, that's just what we've been able to track down and talk to people and do some rough math. And because of the accounting issues that CoffeeZilla also goes into in this video on the phone with one of Colin Thompson's accountants. No. Wasn't that, it was his partner, right? Was that an accountant? It was, or a, it was a former business partner. Okay, former business partner. He didn't know how Colin was getting those numbers. So we nobody knows how much money that he took from advertisers and people that were paying him and misdirected it to other shit to build this thing up because he was starting to, even when he was in financial trouble earlier this year and knew it already, he was offering large guarantees to other podcasters to join cast media. Apparently, he was taking the money that was coming in from advertising from existing shows while he was leaving us and them twisting around. He was giving that money to these new shows to sign them up to cast to make cast artificially look more elaborate and more extensive and more profitable, try to unload it through his friend Rob and do this stock scam. We don't know that. I mean, you're just assuming that the way everyone else is. We well, because I'm just a small town bird lawyer. I don't know how all this high finance works. I'm just speculating. Well, the thing is, we don't know that. If we're going to assume that he gave some shows minimum guarantees or he gave some shows money to join the network, we don't know that. Who are those shows, by the way? Who are the shows that were getting the other shows money? I don't think they knew it. How could you know that? Only Colin knew that and whoever was helping him with the books, which is going to be something that becomes a much bigger story, I think. Colin, I could tell you, was looking for investors in April. So in March, we reached out about what's going on. We, told, we were told that they're repairing everything to give us our past due amount. Also, as we already knew, our shows were in a very strong position that we're going to have a very good year. We knew that. We do a good job. And then all of a sudden, a month later, he's looking for investors. And a month later, it's, I'm going bankrupt. You have to sign a podcast one deal. He had plenty of time to give people a heads up. I'm not going to, with blind faith, assume that he gave all that money to other shows until I see evidence of that. Oh, when I didn't say all the money. Because uh, as CoffeeZilla says, also he built a big, nice, what, 1.7 million is a number I heard bandied around house out there in Hoo-Haville. That's right. Well, this plays into the story. This is where Jim and I actually... Well, let's just put it this way. Colin lied. We got maligned. We got maligned. We got slandered. That's right. By this guy. And that's why Stephen P. New is investigating all of these various slander statutes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It turns out, we've talked about this house before in the past, right? We heard that he had built a custom home. All, all of these. his employees that are either suing him or quit or got a rafe, ran away from him like their heads were on fire said, yeah, and meanwhile, he's going to Hawaii all the time, and he's taking these elaborate vacations with his significant other, and he's 
got this brand new couple million dollar mansion house out there in in some resort area of uh, of California. Well, and how does that happen? Well, he says that. Well, what happened was Coffeezilla starts looking into the house, right? Finds out that Colin's house in June, at the end of June, and based on what I know, I believe it was two days before the internally discussed closing date for the cast asset sale. So the end of June, Colin goes and moves his house into a trust, and the trustee is an LLC in Wyoming. For those of you who don't know this, Wyoming is now one of these safe havens where people put some of their assets, and it turns out the company, well, let me just say this. He put it all into Wyoming, into a trust overseen by an LLC. Looks suspicious, right? Looks like he's hiding his assets ahead of bankruptcy or being sued. Coffeezilla asks him. He says he had to do that <laughs> because Jim Cornette and these shows had threats and listeners have been threatening him and his family. So because of that, because we told him where he lived, we specifically, gave him his address. Spe he we said specifically. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. He said specifically, we gave out his address. And because of that, him and his poor little family were getting all these threats. The problem is, he said we did that so it caused the house to be moved to Wyoming. That happened at the end of June. We didn't go public on the air until the end of July. He lied. He made that up. And also, CoffeeZilla listened to, since we've been kind enough to put these clips on YouTube labeled clearly where everybody can listen to them in their entirety, he listened to them. We can give his fucking guy's address. That's right. We didn't say that it was 2414 Spring Hill Drive, Calabasas County, California. Well, the point is, he made the claim that it was because of you and this show and us giving out his address, so he had to go into the LLC despite the fact that... And he used your time machine. Yeah, it's a chronological impossibility that that happened. So then, when called on that, he said, well, actually, Brian Last threatened it in the emails in May. You may remember those emails, folks. I read them on the air. Yes. CoffeeZilla has them. CoffeeZilla went through them. CoffeeZilla said Brian Last did nothing of the sort. The only thing Brian Last said was that he's going to remind the listeners over and over again that Colin Thompson, a podcast once, stole his money. And I am. And I am. And, and we have. are. And we have. I mean, we've we done everything. And we're, we're continuing to do this. <laughs> so... He then got called on that. It turns out the website he used to form this LLC, they specialize in asset protection. <laughs> they say that they will help you hide your assets from judgments. And Colin's response to that was that he doesn't write the marketing material. So the same guy that when Pod News got in touch with him about this, sent him a link to an article about libel law. This snake, who all of a sudden, you go watch this CoffeeZilla thing, I don't know if Collins sat at home and watched Sam Bankman-Fried and thought, this is a good strategy. I'll pretend that I'm just some doe-eyed knave who had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Oh, I didn't know. I was trying to help everyone. No, you weren't. You were pocketing the money. You were obfuscating. The accounting issues go way back. And they're going to, by the way, now we're going to find out how far back they really go. Every single accountant, and I know at least five of them, 
that was involved with cast is about to have their ass dragged to a few different places to explain themselves. We will find out where every cent went. But even if Colin, and it seemed like he was reading off a script, if you watched his eyes. I think, I think he had his, his influencer uh, holding up cue cards. I think Colin is trying to now throw himself at everyone that he's just an innocent victim in all this. He was an entrepreneur with a lot of spirit who got ahead of himself. <laughs> and then he tried to help everyone by getting this podcast one deal. And he's been so stressed over the last year over losing all this money that he had to go to Hawaii multiple times. Multiple times. Head. Multiple times, they said. Multiple times. It's expensive to go to Hawaii, even if you live in California. It's not a cheap trip. You know, he should have packed a lunch and swam. Would have saved money. So he's out there now trying to make himself the innocent guy. By the way, every conversation or dealing I ever had with him, I never got to see that. There was a bit of arrogance. He certainly thought he was some sort of creative podcast genius. Turns out that was a bunch of bullshit. But, you know, I feel bad for He's the a people that, that were really hooked into him because, again, we were using this fucking guy as an advertising agency on an 80-20 split. There, I'll, I'll reveal that so all the people that he was screwing out of a bigger piece. And now the podcast one's going from 60-40 to 50-50 for some people. But we allegedly, used him as, allegedly, allegedly, we, we've heard that from people. We've we've heard that. But he was. We were using as a, him as an advertising agency, and some of these people were contractually tied up to him. They couldn't move their show. They couldn't do anything else with their show. He made decisions for them. And now we're hearing the testimony from the Coffeezilla video. He was behind nine months with some of these people. We were mad because we were getting a check. Every other month, but it was just enough, as Mama Cornette used to say, to piss you off. But we don't know. But, but see, that, that comes back to the accounting. We know he sent us money, and at times it was a lot of money. But we don't know if that's what we were supposed if to We get. don't know if it was all of the money. I can tell you, based on the period of time now, where I'm dealing directly with the company supplying programmatic ads and everything, or the platform, I have a reason to suspect that he may not have been paying us our correct share for that. We don't have a breakdown of who paid what. And by the way, here's another important note. He ripped us off and lied to us, then tried to screw us a second time. Whatever you want to say about Rob Ellen and Podcast One, they're opportunists looking to take advantage of a bad situation. Colin tried to fuck everyone twice. He also screwed over the advertisers. These people paid millions of dollars for podcasters, influencers, celebrities, whatever it may be, to talk about their products on the air. And all those people did it. And more than likely did it well. Probably not as well as us, but did it well. Yeah. They weren't paid. So the advertise we were defrauded on our end, and the advertisers were defrauded on their end. You know what? When we haul him finally, I, again, it's going to look like the, the line in airplane waiting to slap the guy around. But when he finally does get hauled into court, I'm thinking, Brian, here's the deal. We know he's probably so broke now he can't pay attention. He's just a, a gum-bumping sack of snake feces now trying to con people and stay out of jail. What about if we do this? When the judge finds him guilty, since he can't pay us back, he gets sentenced to be our butler. Yeah, I don't know about that. Think about the programming. 
Or maybe the maid. Maybe he, get, he gets sentenced to be our maid. I'm thinking we could get our money back in the programming of making him wash jackasses and do various things with a wash tub. Hey, you know, if we're going to talk about this, let's let people actually hear him. We did this once before where we played audio of him talking about how to get paid. If you're a podcaster, you may remember yeah, that clip. Yeah. Stay away from me. We've got permission. Here's him talking with CoffeeZilla. The question, I believe, is where is the $4 million? And again, I'm not going with the assumption that it's $4 million. Could be much more than that. And I have reason to think he was cheating everyone a lot longer than some of us thought. Here's Colin Thompson. Where did the money go? I began to reach out to everyone, starting with Colin Thompson, to ask for his side of the story. You're being accused of basically stealing $4 million. Your clients say you defrauded them. What's your side of the story? Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. You know, um, I wanted to talk with you because I, I appreciate the work that you do. Um, I appreciate the, your journalistic integrity, and I know that you're going to tell a fair story. Cast is sort of the dream of, of the vision of independence, you know, free speech, not bound by sort of corporate norms, um, the ability and the backbone, backbone to support visionary, talented, unique, independent voices, people like Theo. For those of you who are not seeing this yet, please go out of your way to see it. It appears to me. Is he in the closet? Well, that's he another He looks story. like he's in his closet. No, he looks, he's broadcasting from his closet. Colin Thompson is in the closet. No, it there. looks like those are cupboards. It may, it may be his office. Who knows? I, mean, I thought it a... was one of those designer closet things. Well, what I was going to say is, if you look at his eyes, to me. Darting. They're going back and forth. They're shifting from left to right. He's reading something, I think. But let's go back to this. Vaughn, um, you know, cast perspective was independence is the product. There were plenty of times where, you know, we believed in a show. Uh, it ran into trouble. Maybe it was canceled in one way or another. And the question was, where's the four million dollars? Yeah. <laughs> canceled, quote unquote. And, and we stood by our creators, right? Continue to support them through that time, you know, when maybe a more corporate organization wouldn't. We, we weathered the storm together. Um, we believe truly that that's what, you know, was unique and special. About we had no storms until you stopped paying us our advertising money. We were weathering everything just fine. It was all sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls. Our audience was growing by leaps and bounds. You stole our fucking money. Where is the money? That's the question. Continue, Brian. My heart and soul is still in that vision. I'm a musician originally, um, and I got into this because I wanted to support shows that were... Bucking the trend, going against the grain, but unique and important to the broader dialogue. Um, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Where is the $4 million? Not what can you say to try to make yourself sound sympathetic. I'm a musician. Good for you. Take your guitar and hit yourself over the head with it. Or your piano, whatever it may be. But where's the where's the four million? I mean, I mean, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Every everybody's got a grand vision, but the grand vision yeah. when it, you know, when we get to this point, everyone wants to know where the money is, not what the vision is. Sure. You know, we built an infrastructure at cast that I wasn't in tremendously proud of. I believe that over the years we generated better revenue for creators. Um, paid them out more than other podcasts would necessarily be able to because we invested heavily in an infrastructure, took an individualized approach, anecdotally. Um, you know, we. But you're saying word. you pay out more, but That's another I, I word. mean. He just, he's just throwing he's just words in there. He's shouting out words, loud noises. Anecdotally. 
That's a sentence. He didn't say anything before it or after it. Just anecdotally. I mean, clearly that's, you know, kind of not true, right? Oh, wait, wait, but you, you asked for my story. Do you mind if I, I just, just, tell, just tell the story? You know, we're getting to the financial difficulties. Season. Sure, sure. Um, it says something when you ask someone a very simple question. Although there may be a complicated answer. Where's the money? Where's the missing millions of dollars? You would like him to start answering that question, even if it's long and complicated. Get started with it. I'll follow you through it if you'll address the issue. Why would you need to preface that with, I want to tell my story? Because he was born a small black child in a log cabin in Missouri. Um, you know, uh, our vision, it really worked. Creators benefited, made made a lot more money than, than they would have. Um, uh, and many creators are, you know, do have more money in their pocket now because of that. However, during the period from February 2022 until February 2023, our unit economics changed drastically. Our revenue per download, which is an important metric for analyzing sales performance, you know, free from content performance considerations, dropped by 58%. Um, in other words, over the course of those 12 months, the revenue that we could generate on one download uh, moved down by 58%. You know? What the okay. fuck is he talking about? Yeah, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean if you took every show across the network or that he was distributing or working with and you took all of their downloads and then weighed that against all of the money coming in, it's making less or that? Each ad is like he's not in any way specific about what this is. And again, it doesn't reflect what we were experiencing. Our rates did not go down. Our audience went up. We were charging more for advertising if I was eyeballing that correctly instead of less. And, and we were supposed to be getting it. It was getting paid. That's the other thing. It's not an issue of where'd the money go? I wasn't paid. It, was, it wasn't the advertisers didn't pay us so we can't pay you. It was the advertisers paid us. Oops. It's gone. And it's gone. Yeah, and I think that's important to note. The advertisers paid them. The financial problems aren't because they weren't getting the money in that they expected from the advertisers. The advertisers paid what they were supposed to. The problems were outside of that. It never got to us. And Colin, again, if you have to preface a simple question with a long, sympathetic a tale of sorrow and woe that would bring a tear to a glass eye is not what we are looking for from Colin the Weasel at this point. It's an accounting of himself. Now, one of the big theories that's come out, and again, until we see evidence, I'm not assuming anything when it comes to this stuff, is that Colin was paying certain shows minimum guarantees. No matter what business they were doing or weren't doing, they got minimum guarantees. And because of that, I assume instead of breaking those deals, he decided not to pay other shows on top of whatever else he did to divert the money. Well, because those apparently, from what I was hearing, were new deals. So if he got them happy, while the other people are waiting on their money, they've gotten money from him before. Now they're waiting on the money again. He'll get these new people paid for a little while. And then this will all be fucking off of his shoulders. And he's on Easy Street, floating down Wall Street. That's right. Well, let's play a little more audio, because again, you and I come into play here. Yeah, get to where he slanders me in a legally actionable fashion by claiming that I threatened him when I didn't do that. 
Here it is. Uh, I believe this is the spot. Coffeezilla talking about Colin Thompson blaming Jim Cornette and myself for him putting his house earlier than that into a trust run by an LLC in Wyoming that was formed using a company that advertises itself as protecting assets. This is amazing. And found that Colin Thompson indeed bought a $1.7 million house the same year as his financial troubles. And I also found out that right about the time he was talking about declaring bankruptcy, he moved that house into a trust where the trustee was a Wyoming LLC he set up, which from where I stood looked a lot like hiding assets from a bankruptcy right before a bankruptcy. But when I confronted Colin about this, he said, I had things completely backwards. The truth is he was hiding his property for a totally different reason, a very sympathetic reason. We anonymized our address because we were getting threats um, in, the, in the last 30 days. There was, sure. there's been, you know, sure. there's been I nothing think, I think you can see, yeah, I think you can see though how other people might see it another way where it looks like you're trying to shield it by hiding it from a personal name into a trust owned by an LLC. I mean, I'm just I, in a very favorable well, state. I assume you listen to the I'm Jim Cornette episodes where I'm they just specify say that. where I live, right? I, I assume you listen to the Jim Cornette episodes where they specifically call out where I live. We were really, really concerned. We were getting threats. When I heard this, I was pretty alarmed and I totally understood his fears. So I went to go ahead and look for the episode where Jim Cornette apparently specifically called out where he lived, but it wasn't there. Actually, Jim Cornette never mentions a specific address, but a general area. But way more damning for Colin's story is the fact that that episode came out in July, but Colin formed his LLC for moving the house in June. Bingo! Before these threats ever happened, he's creating this shell company. So I found it very hard to believe. I pointed this out to Colin and he said this, Quote, they revealed general details and I anticipated the possibility of this happening. Brian threatened it very specifically in my original email exchange with him back in May. So I got a hold of those emails. There was no threat in them. Instead, Brian said things like, consider this a serious caution. We're gonna make sure to endlessly let all listeners know with great detail that Colin Thompson of Podcast One stole our money because he doesn't know how to run a business which is sort of true. This guy doesn't know how to run a (laughs) Nice try, Colin. Good job. Good job, Colin. Lying about us on video. Thank you, Colin. And you know what? Thank you, Colin. That's what I'm going to say after what he just did there, this idiot. Thank you, Colin. Stephen P. Newell have something to say about this. Write your lies down and keep dates down so that you know what story you're telling, pal. And again, that was his story on this day. That doesn't mean it was his story the days before it or the days after it. Everything's been changed. Look, these guys are all in crisis mode right now. Podcast One, Colin Thompson, none of this has gone the way they expected it to. Even the worst case scenario, they didn't expect all this. They didn't expect any of us to hold our ground and say, fuck you to your legal threats. They're bullshit. These these segments, let me say it here. If you're hearing this, this has been cleared by Stephen Pinu, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen. Jim, anything you'd like to say about Stephen? Well, uh, yes, there is that I would like to say. First of all, thank you again to Colin, as you said, for giving us some more information or some more ammunition. 
And Stephen is also, uh, as we speak now, today he has been on the phone with a variety of different enforcement agencies over potentially what might be civil liability and what might be criminal liability and what statutes in various states that Mr. Thompson may have evaded or eluded or... uh, What's the word I'm searching for? Various statutes he has committed offenses against. And Rob Ellen, I I just got to ask you, as once again, the maven of Wall Street, this guy told me in the poorly worded, drunken-sounding email that he sent me trying to get me to talk to his crummy company, he said it's a $100 million company. If their stock is trading... For barely above a dollar a share, does that mean there's a hundred million shares of that shit? In which case, you'd need a U-Haul truck. You might as well use it for toilet paper. It'd be cheaper in the long run. Has that company, has their stock ever been worth anything? I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't believe any serious institution will ever hold any of their stock. And I, as an investor, would never consider spending any of my money on this stock. Was it ever worth $5, you think? It may have been. It may have been. Then then how how bad a businessman is Rob Ellen running a company where stock was maybe $5 and now it's a dollar and 14 fucking cents or whatever? Well, again, I think there's going to be a lot more on this because, you know, the thing that's happened... Oh, we're not done. Nobody's done. Well, beyond that, it's not even us. You know, what happened is because we came out first and we were public, and then through us continuing to talk about this, We've heard from numerous people, reporters, investigators, people looking into various parties involved in all this for a variety of different reasons. So this is certainly not the end of it. I do want to make one prediction, though. This motherfucker that we are just saying fuck you to was ringing the bell at the opening of trading on Wall Street the other day. And by the end of the oh. day, he, he looked like he'd been slapped around by a wet trout. But this is not just a small-time thing. This is people's money that they are ta- not only have taken, but are trying to take. And a lot of people now are starting to say, hey, what's going on with well, all of you son of a bitches? Well, Jim, let me jump in. We got a little bit of news. Uh, the Verge, Amrita Khalid, I spoke with her has just put up an article, Why Everyone in the Podcast World is Mad at Cast Media. (laughs) Whitney Cummings, Theo Vaughn, and multiple creators say that the podcast network founded by Colin Thompson owes them six or seven figures for ads sold on their podcast. I got to go through this article. That's the first time I've seen anything indicated that Whitney Cummings is saying that she's owed that amount. Because that begs the Again, the question is, if he was paying these advances... Or these minimum guarantees, like it's fucking WCW, to any of these other people, who was he paying it to? What shows were getting that money? Poor old Whitney wasn't getting hers, but but that's that's the point. The point that I was going to make is, whether this Rob is the head of a $100 million company and he decided to get in bed with this weasel from a fucking a slaughterhouse somewhere, and he decided to get in bed with him, which means he is suspicious as well. And people are investigating all of this. And we've been saying this. And the only people we haven't heard from is Rob's lawyer or Colin's lawyer. 
So apparently that means they don't have a leg to stand on. Hey, you know what they say, Brian? You know the old saying, if a tree falls on you in the forest and nobody is there to see it, does it really hurt? Well, the answer apparently is yes. And these motherfuckers are getting trees launched at them and they can't do dick about it. Again, I have to go through this article, but I just want to, I'm just flipping, not flipping, but scrolling through it as we're doing this. Here's the end of it. Uh, Thompson, uh, he says that in an interview with Yahoo Finance last week, Ellen indicated that the company Newcast was in a bad position and that turning its assets around was the point of the deal. Quote, we've bought a very distressed, troubled asset, he said, of the still in the works IP acquisition, still in the works, IP acquisition of Cast Podcasts, adding that it, quote, owed a lot of money to its podcasters and couldn't really afford to pay them. <clears throat> Thompson responded to numerous allegations against him in a phone call with Hot Pod on Tuesday. His version of events is this. Cast got underwater due to this year's soft ad market, <clears throat> and the company fell behind on its payments to creators. Thompson met with investors in March and claimed that none of them were interested in investing in podcasting or perhaps a podcast company that's completely not profitable because the money's gone. Who knows? He finally met Ellen in late April, and they began exploring a way for Podcast One to serve as a potential lifeboat. <laughs> Here's a quote from Colin. I don't know if that's a lifeboat or a slave ship. But again, he's an idiot who got to this position, and it's unfortunate that a lot of us and just trying to do what's best for our shows propped him up, but he's a bubblehead. He's a bubblehead, and this is the position he got himself into right here. And he can't fly straight. Podcast One has as good of a reputation as anyone in the space. They were coming up with deals for cast shows that were strong. No, they weren't. Again, are you a stock market moron? Do you really think anyone, and by the way, you're the one who lost anyone's money. Why should anyone think you have any idea what the fuck you're doing? You idiot. Put on a clean t-shirt when you're going to be interviewed. Ah, get out of the closet. You're going to be on fucking Skype. While Thompson acknowledged that Podcast One originally wanted to offer him a position at the company, he stressed that it wasn't his priority. Here's a quote. I should say that was explored early on, but it was never a focus for me. I never tried to negotiate anything, he said. Thompson's real priority, he insisted, were the creators. As to videos by Vaughn and the hosts of the Jim Cornette experience, Thompson has a mixed response. Quote, I don't deserve some of the things that were said about me, but I do deserve some of the things that were said about me too. <laughs> Thompson said, he acknowledged that some creators may have been unhappy with the deals offered by Podcast One or being left in the dark about cast financial status for so long, he understood that creators were angry with him and guessed that many of them felt led on by him. That's a quote. He denied all allegations of fraud, though he'd stressed that there were business decisions he regretted. And it ends with a quote. I've done plenty of soul searching and reflecting, and I think as a business leader, you have to weigh the pros and cons. So there it is, Colin. Can I make a prediction well, before we say anything well, else? I was just going to say more cons than pros in this, but go ahead. 
He ripped off people and lied and obfuscated, and he's still trying to spin a story right now that's bullshit for months, maybe years. Actually, definitely at least a year. So I'm not even going to say months, year, maybe years. He did this. He did it to people in states all across this country. I predict Colin Thompson's going to go to federal prison. That's my prediction I'm making on the air right now. Colin Thompson, everyone's worried about who's going to sue him. He's going to prison. He's going to prison. He fucked around with millions of dollars across state lines. This money was coming to people like me in New Jersey. People like Jim in Kentucky. People like Theo, wherever he is. <laughs> Never let Some, wherever he is, somebody ought to call the FBI. Wherever anyone is. That money was paid by an advertiser, who knows what state they're in, to cast media with the explicit reason being cast media takes their cut, they send the rest of the money to the creator in other states. Never happened. Colin Thompson's going to federal prison. That's my prediction. They but may like him there. They may really like him there. Well, that's what I'm thinking. But, you know, he said he was doing some soul searching. And I think, uh, Colin, you ought to do a bunch of soul searching. As a matter of fact, get a whole group of soul searchers to help you. Go get Chuck Brown himself because you're going to feel like busting loose where they're going to put you. You didn't even snicker at that one. No, no. Chuck Brown and the soul searchers. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm still just, you know. Yeah, you're just The fact that this guy just thinks it's okay to lie and just constantly lie and lie and lie and lie. And he's going to somehow talk his way out of it. That's what's offensive. As Aunt Lola would say, he lies like a rug. He certainly does. And with that, Jim, we will take this short commercial timeout and return after this. A rather abrupt landing, but yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we are here in the future, Jim. You're exactly. giving me whiplash. As I'm flowing through the space-time continuum, you hit those air brakes, and... Jesus, my neck. I may have to file a complaint against you with Stephen P. New. 888-692-8084. Well, I would beg you not to do that, because everyone knows if you go against Stephen P. New, you're going to get your ass kicked, but Jim... Before we go too much further, we are in the future. As you can tell, the gardeners are somewhere outside. I thought they'd be gone. Oh, oh, don't start with this again. Oh, it's the neighbor's gardener, too. My gardener's finishing up, and the neighbor's gardener's just getting going. Do they ever fight? Why don't they coordinate? What if, what if one crew and the other crew, they all just threw their gloves down at the same time and just went to fucking wailing on each other with goddamn scythes and fucking weed whackers? I'm absolutely betting on my crew. Are they, are they look bigger or just tougher? You know, we used to did, know. Did, did you get a Did you get a new crew? You did have that topless mowing crew. I never had a topless mowing crew. Officially. No, you did. There was th three guys from Long Island. I never had three topless guys from Long Island as my gardeners. No, they're called the Dark Order. I think you're getting things confused. Oh, I've said, well, no, they, were, they weren't tall enough to be in the Dark Order. Or they were too tall to be in the Dark Order is what I'm trying to say. Well, Jim, uh... They were grown adults. I don't know. That's, that is really... We have no finish for this bit, so well, we'll just move on. I had another thing uh, planned, and uh, it's an unfortunate... Another thing? An unfortunate transition. You brought up height. Jim, any thoughts on the passing of Brett Wayne Sawyer? Oh, come on now. 
you didn't have to mention a short because people would have probably first gone for pudgy. You mentioned short for the record. No, I, he was the, he was the good brother. His his brother was a fucking psychopath, and I have no good feelings toward him whatsoever. But Brett Sawyer was always a nice guy, easy to work with. Um, obviously, you know, in the shadow of his older and more maniacal brother, and let's fact, Buzz was a tremendous talent in the ring. He was just an asshole and a lunatic. But Brett, we worked. The Midnight Express and I, when we first went to work for Crockett, we worked a program with Buzz and Brett because they were in the Georgia office that Crockett had absorbed when he got the TBS slot and Oli said, well, you know, fuck this. And and uh, unfortunately, that was the dying days of that Georgia office. Crockett was going to close it sooner or later, and those guys knew it. And also, that's when he was moving Slater and... I think Roop had been there. I think they moved him up to Charlotte briefly, but Slater was had been booking in Georgia, and he was on the way out, whether he knew it or not. And they didn't like the Sawyers. They were moving them out. So Buzz was in a grumpy mood anyway and didn't like putting the Midnight Express over in his territory. But Brett was easy. He didn't give a shit. And, you know, he knew what the situation was. So. It's a shame he didn't get to uh he did when when like when he was in Portland working for Don Owens or when he'd go somewhere that Buzz hadn't been he got over better than if Buzz had been there both in the ring with the fans and in the locker room with the with the boys yeah, The guy's blowing uh excuse me ladies and gentlemen yeah, the wait a minute. The gardener's out here blowing the guys leaves. blowing the other gardening crew. What I thought they were going to fight. Now they're making love. No, that's not what he was blowing leaves. But um, you know that's what happened. I think in Georgia, right? He started as Brett Wayne. They didn't reveal right away that he was Brett Wayne Sawyer. Yeah, and especially when he was first breaking in, that was a. Even though it was only a few years after Buzz had started, Buzz got pushed fairly quickly. So it was you know when he was coming in green, didn't have the. All of the, uh, I'm not trying to speak ill, but all of the athletic gifts that Buzz had, it was just freaky. You know, they they broke him in as Brett Wayne so that he wouldn't be carrying that around as a, you know, just a young green rookie. And then I'm pretty sure they did an angle. I was not in the territory at that point in time or paying attention probably. Uh, I think I'd just gotten into business where they revealed that, you know, that he was uh, Buzz's younger brother and Brett Wayne Sawyer came along. And then what was he was since Buzz Sawyer was kind of the play on Buzz Saw, uh, Hack, uh, they they named him in Portland Hack Sawyer, right? And then kind of maybe Brett Hacksaw Sawyer. Help me. I can't. I'm not very familiar with his yeah. Portland run, to be honest with you. But nevertheless, nice. Mike guy. Rogers would know, though, and he has Mike many Rogers, great books all Mike about Culbertson. it. They've got a new encyclopedia coming out. They're just they're beasts out there. But yeah, he was a nice guy, and and uh, not that old. I wouldn't think he was. Was he a year or two older than me? How old was he? Or do you have that information? Uh, I could pull it up if you give me a moment here. I'll give you a moment also while you're having your moment there. Try to find out what happened to him, because if he's close to my age, I'd like to know what I might be in for. 
63 years old. Oh, geez. And according to Fightful, his death, his cause of death is not yet known. Well, hopefully it was a bread truck, just for everybody's sake. But I'm, um, anyway, no, I'm sorry. I hadn't seen him in, my God, I think the last time I saw Brett Sawyer was the last match we had with him in 1985. I can't remember where I would have seen him since then. But uh, I hate to hear that. Well, Jim, let's uh, talk about another wrestling death that recently happened, just because a lot of listeners have sent in questions, although you didn't have a lot of time around him. Any thoughts on the passing of Adnan L. Casey, General Adnan? Uh, no, I I saw on Twitter people were saying, oh, what does, you know, Cornette have to say about General Adnan, Adnan L. Casey, Billy White Wolf, if we're going to throw all the gimmicks in. Um, I believe that it was probably not until we were all in the position of doing a fan fest or two that I ever actually met him in person. We were ne we never worked in the same place as you remember. He was he would not have been there as a talent during the period of time in the late nineties that I worked for Vince. Would he? I'm trying to think. No, he was gone by ninety one. It was a very yeah, short I, run he was there. It was ninety ninety one. Because I'm gonna say I met him maybe Maybe once, maybe twice at a, a couple of fan fests, if I recall correctly. And otherwise, we, you know, I never had any personal interaction. And the first I ever knew of him or knew who he was was Billy White Wolf when I first, you know, started watching wrestling as a kid and then discovered the wrestling magazines. What it was, was it 75 or 76? Not too far into the 70s that he and Strongbow were the tag team champions. Was that Strongbow's last big push at that point? No, he later had Jewel Strongbow. Remember? Oh, God, that's right. Yeah, he, got, he boy, he came up with all kinds of ways to stay on top in that company. Uh, but it, it was funny to me when I later found out that Sheik Adnan El Casey used to be Billy White Wolf, you know, that I'd seen when I was 13 years old or whatever, because I, he, he went from an American Indian to a, a, a what I, we thought at the time, well, well, now he's an Indian because we did the Sheiks are all the Indians or whatever. He, uh, he had an amazing career. If you read the, uh, the, his bios and recaps in international wrestling. And was huge in in Iraq, right? Is where he's originally legitimately from. That's right. He knew Saddam Hussein from childhood, I believe. Yeah. And they put together stadium shows over there. And, you know, so, and he had been in the business much longer than you would realize because he wasn't featured that much until the 70s, 80s in, you know, in America. But, uh, but yeah, just another guy that I never really had any personal interaction with. It's really wild when you think like 1983-84, the fact that you had Adnan L. Casey and then he purchases Ken Patera from Bobby Heenan, who becomes a sheik. <laughs> Even Jerry Blackwell's dressed like a sheik. I mean, it was pretty funny, but it worked. And then at the same time, Fred Blassie all of a sudden becomes Ayatollah Blassie with the Iron Sheik yeah. in the WWF. Hercules Hernandez... With Skandar Akbar would then become a sheik and start yeah. dressing like a sheik. Hey, I'm telling you what, because people in America were fucking pissed about the gas prices and the, the oil crisis and, you know, et cetera, The et cetera. hostages. The hostages. And 
Well, the gas crisis came even before the hostages, didn't they? Or was that after? Well, it did, but I think I thought we were talking about like by the time it got to the early eighties, the different. Well, things. yeah, but I mean the whole wave there. It started with the you know the gas and the blah blah blah, and then the hostages, and so everybody. There was a Middle East invasion in every territory at that point because it was, you know, easy heat. Well, Jim, when it comes to easy heat. There's no easy transition. There's no easy transition. I don't know where you're going. I'm just pleased if you'll get there. But there is an easy way to place your bets, place your bets on your favorite games and players and all sorts of sporting-like things. All sorts of sportsmanship conduct, sportsmanlike conduct, whatever. Yeah, you've thrown me off with your shitty transition. Here it is. I found the copy. But you know what it's easy to do? <laughs> Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. For those of you who know how to download these apps, these mysterious things that float in the air around us, if you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code JCE, you're going to make some money because new customers, that's people who have not patronized their establishment before, can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Now, that's just insane. You can retire on this, folks. You bet $5, you get $200. Then you get your little cousin Pismo to bet $5. You get another. Now you got $400. You've only spent 10 If you've got a big enough circle of friends that you can convince that this is a good idea, you're going to make a million dollars. All you have to do is win every bet, but that's up to you. Because DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You know what that means? That means if you get on the wrong side of them, you're going to have some quarterbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers on your front porch knocking on your door. No, you're not. They work together. Like Rosie Greer is going to just show up at your house? Roosevelt Greer to you. I didn't know you guys were on a nickname basis. Folks, you can get in on the NFL Week 2 action. Is it the second week of the NFL already? My, how time flies. With DraftKings Sportsbook right now, because also, all DraftKings customers, that means people that have been there and people that haven't been there, anybody that wants to be a customer can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Do they play games on Wednesday, Brian? I mean, someone does. Well, then that's a game day. Baseball, of course, is every day of the week. Well, whatever goddamn day they're playing a game is game day in September, and all DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers. We don't know what they are. You're going to have to download the app and figure it out day by day. Day by day. Oh, dear Lord, these things I pray that I'll win these bets. So right now, download the app and use the code JCE to sign up. And remember, new customers, bet five bucks, take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. If you have a bonus bet, does that mean that you, you get a bonus if you win the bet, or it's just an extra bonus bet besides the bet you made? These wonderful questions can be bet on at DraftKings. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook. Go to the app. They'll fill you in. DraftKings Sportsbook with code JCE. Folks, the crown is yours. And potential riches await you as long as you make the right decisions. And also in the fine print, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.sot1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 
1-888-789-4467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. I'm running out of air. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, we don't know. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, a giant black hole. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, well, that was uh, our message about our friends at DraftKings, the official betting partner of Jim Cornette's little kingdom over here. Jim, a lot of yes. people. A lot of people. Yes. Been, a lot of people have been sending in. Yes. Wanting to know what your thoughts are on the latest PWI 500. Well, I don't know what my thoughts are because I don't know who's on it. In general, what are your thoughts before we get to the 2023 version? What are your thoughts on the idea of a PWI 500, a list of the greatest <sighs> wrestlers in the world ranked? Well, I think we talk about this every year when they do this thing and basically you know, i mean it's a list that they believe that the majority of the fans that buy their magazine will will like because it features heavily the favorite wrestlers that they see on television on the big shows and then they sprinkle in the you know independent and or smaller promotion talent so as not to offend anybody and get kicked out of, of covering those people's events and they sprinkle in the international talent and by the time you in these days by the time you get past well, I don't even know anymore but by the time you get past the first 20 25 percent then it's a goddamn federal witness protection program list of names isn't it and I mean it's a marketing thing but legitimately, as we see every year, if they're ranking in terms of if they're ranking in terms of who the biggest box office attractions are, then it would be all WWE talent seven out of ten with the top AEW guys rounding out the top ten. If they're going by talent in the ring probably half the fucking top 20 or 25 they come up with wouldn't be on the list at all because they're the shits, but they're featured in some fashion. I don't know what criteria they're the greatest, you know, so that's it. If you're going on box office draw, you have to go primarily with the top two companies and they have to put some other people in just to satisfy political obligations. If you're going for, Talent in the ring, you wouldn't come up with 500. And like I said, you know, most of the people probably in their top 10 wouldn't be on it. So I don't know what they're fucking doing or grading by. And also, it's a fan list. I'm, you know, they're selling magazines. They're not going to put, you know, fucking Braun Breaker on the cover when they can put Seth Rollins or whoever the fuck. Well, PWI has had some interesting cover picks in the last few years, but let's get to the PWI. Well, I mean, for the 500 list, That's I'm not true. saying Braun will never be on any magazine cover. I'm saying if they're, they're, they're going for the, who's the big star that can sell magazine. They've been doing that since Bill was there after in 72, who's going to sell, you know, magazines. If I put their picture on the cover. 
and it turned out the answer were two women in bikinis fighting in an apartment. But let's get to the PWI. That was Stanley Weston. That was his fault. I understand after was the trainer for those women. Well, because he was the only one that was local, could drive and do it. He was begging all the women to let him put them in a figure four, from what I understand. Most of them couldn't get out. Well, here is the 2023 PWI 500 list. Now, wait, you're not going to read this whole goddamn thing. Come on, we got time. We got no, time. no, we don't. Well, we're going to go through some of them and get your thoughts. I'm not going to live long enough, but let's. are we doing a top 20 here, or what are we doing? Let's at least go through 10 and see how it goes from there. Oh, okay. Number one, Riho. Oh, stop it. Okay, okay, fine. Even you realize that was ridiculous. <laughs> I thought you would react somehow, but number one on the farther list. Farther than number three. Number one on the list, Seth Rollins. Okay, well, all right, there you go. Um, I mean, again, it, by what criteria? Uh, he's more regular now, and he's the world champion that actually works. Roman Reigns is still the box office draw, but he's not the worker Seth Rollins is. And, you know, what about, what about Brock? So, but that's not an outrageous uh, uh, choice. Number two, Roman Reigns. Okay, well, there you go. And that's not outrageous because he is the biggest box office draw per, per appearance, probably, along with Brock, who's got to still be in there somewhere unless they consider him inactive. Number three, John Moxley. Oh boy. Okay. So they have. So the Shield. One, two, three. Well, uh, and you know what? Are there all three of their pictures are on the cover, right? Uh, I believe so, but I don't have it. Well, you don't have it. Yes, they are. I have it right here. Yes, I do. Okay, then they say, "Oh, we'll put the Shield back together, and we'll we'll make Tony Khan happy because his gag is number three, and we can sell magazines." But. Yeah, he's the, except for Chris Jericho, he's the name now on the AEW roster with the head that's had the most exposure. But again, if you're looking for quality of performance or professionalism in any ways, guys, a fucking waste of flesh. So that's marketing right there. Number four, Gunther. And now they slip in another WWE guy that they don't really want to put on a cover because they're not probably going to be pinning pictures of Gunther up on their walls, but he's the intercontinental champion, the, the record holder now. They've got big plans for him in the office, so there you go. At number five, El Hijo del Vikingo. <clears throat> okay. Explain that one to me, Lucy. He is currently one of the biggest stars in AAA. In the Lucha Libre world, and he also How many appears... magazines, how many magazines do they sell in Mexico? I don't know about PWI, but in terms of wrestling magazines, it may actually sell more there than anywhere other than Japan. Well, no, that's what I'm... How many magazines in, of this magazine do they sell in Mexico? And how many people walking past a goddamn drugstore newsstand or whatever in Poughkeepsie are going to have a fucking clue who Vikingo is? I don't know about Poughkeepsie, maybe White Plains, but... Number six, MJF. Oh, they're trying to make Tony happy, but they put this fucking clown wearing Quetzalcoatl's fucking wedding dress on top of MJF, who's the hottest talent currently in the company. Jesus H. Christ. And the world champion. And the world champion. 
Number seven, Kazushka Okada. I guess we have come to the point where the average fan that still buys the magazine watches Japanese wrestling with regularity and they feel the need to to do that? Well, he is an excellent wrestler. I guess the question would be, is this the year for him to be that high? We shall see. Number eight. Well, and, and also, again, there are more people, I would imagine, watching Impact on television in North America than watching New Japan Pro Wrestling at this point, aren't there? I believe so. And that's a very small number in and of itself, the Impact audience. So, bad where's ma- Impact's bad management, love? Bad management. Bad management at Impact. Where is any love for somebody that people may be watching on television in this country where they're selling this magazine? Well, but that's they next. Failed to satisfy the fucking... Internet fan, they've got to... All right, go ahead. You stopped me. Number eight, Orange Cassidy. (sighs) All right, so this is a complete rib now. We're not going for box office star power or in-ring talent. We're going for fucking going viral for being a goof. Fonzie appeal is what... Fonzie appeal. (laughs) Is what we're going for. (sighs) Number nine, Josh Alexander. I would comment if I'd really ever seen anything that the feller has done. Number 10, Cody Rhodes. Okay. <laughs> so the biggest baby face in the biggest company in the world makes number 10 below only Viking O, Josh Alexander, and our little puppy pockets. It's an interesting list. I'll go through some other select ones real quick. Number 14, Samoa Joe. Number 16, Brian Danielson. 17, Osprey. 18, Alexander Hammerstone. There's a name we haven't heard in a while. Because he's still with MLW. We don't hear about them. 21, Owens. 22, Zane. 24, Jericho. 25, Omega. 26. I thought, see, he last year, he was their darling, right? Wasn't it last year or two? He was number one, the greatest wrestling artist of all time. I guess it's about how many matches you wrestle. I mean, if it was based on... No, it's how many people are fawning over you at the moment on the internet. Remember, Marco Stunt could have made the top 10 about four years ago, before he faded into obscurity like we knew he would. Well, we'll see if we can find him here. Before he pulled that old Houdini like we always knew he would. It's a fine, fine day for a Marco Stunt reunion. That was an unheralded single. Number 37, Braun Breaker. Number 38... Oh, Jesus Christ, Braun Breaker. Shouldn't have the standing in the industry to be even 30 places away from fucking pockets is what they're trying to tell us here. You got to be out of your fucking mind. 38, Solo Sokoa. 45, Austin Theory. 47, Wardlow. 49, Darby Allen. 50, Edge. Let's zoom a little bit further down. 57, Nick Aldis. 59, Powerhouse Hobbs. Looking for Marco Stunt now. It's such a problem, but I can't find him. We'll see how far you have to go down before you don't recognize five names in a row. Okay, five in a row. 77, 
Eddie Kingston, then Tristan Archer, then Rocky Romero. Okay, so there's two out of... Frankie Kazarian, 91. I could, I could still go there. Jay Lethal, 101. Oh, for fuck's sake. Mustafa Ali, 108. Swerve Somebody, you tell me that you're starting a wrestling promotion anywhere on earth and you would rather have Viking O and Pockets instead of Jay Lethal. You're a fucking moron. Number 145, Mark Briscoe. <sighs> Number 147, Nick Wayne. Number 149, Ricochet. Number 151, Ilya Dragunov. Oh, Jesus. Number 154, Brody King. Uh, let me go down a little further here. Number 171, Bully Ray. Number 175, Nick Gage. <laughs> 181, Dax Harwood. It, it shouldn't there be... Wait, oh, Jesus Christ. I hadn't even realized. So Nick Gage is a better wrestling talent in any facet, in any category, in any genre than Dax Harwood. He wins more matches. <sighs> Christ on a cracker. Max Caster, 186. Matt Hardy, 193. I think I'd rather have uh, 100 through 200 on my roster instead of 1 through 20. Well, we are now at 200. It'll be interesting. Let's see how many names we know here. 202, Davey Boy Smith Jr. 204, Eddie Edwards. 214, Christopher Daniels. 223, Colby Carino. 227, Johnny Gargano. 242, Tommaso Ciampa. 253, Dragon Lee. 259, the Ultimo Guerrero. Or excuse me, 259. The, not the. I, I, was, I was thinking it was going to be Ultimo Dragon. Then I see Guerrero. Ultimo the Guerrero. Ultimo Guerrero. Ultimo Guerrero is what I meant. Kushida, 274. Zooming down now, let's get to the 400s. 381 is Ijo del Pirata Morgan. <laughs> 383 is Ijo del Canis Lupus. <laughs> I wasn't familiar with Canis Lupus. <laughs> I think they, they recently came up with a vaccine. And, and that's a thing of the past, I heard, the Canis Lupus. 453 Danhausen. Before him at 451 is Cheeseburger. This seems to be a lot of the uh, one-named wrestlers here in the 400s. <laughs> LSG. Shug D, Maggot, Tanali, Maggot, Maggot, Milo, GPA, Facade, Bojack, Vixen, Kratos, <laughs> Riho, Riho 402. Wait, there are women on this list? Where's Rio Ripley? I thought it was just men. It sounded like it was, but Riho's down there? 402. So Rhea Ripley should be in Vikingo's spot at number five. At number 500, Andre Chase. <sighs> so now he gets to but, take that onto the Indies and have fun with it. Because, yeah, well, at least that's something for him, but, but he's not as good as Maggot. How do you, intru right, how do you introduce him? From Parts Unknown, obviously, right? Or do you, does he have a location? Like, from the sewer! No, I, th I think from from your hot garbage can. Your hot garbage can? 
You ever leave some fucking food garbage out in your garbage can on a summer day, it gets about 110 degrees, and you look in there about a day or two later, and there's things squirming around. Would he be a good partner for an evil trash man? No, I, th I think they would be opponents, because the trash man, the worst thing he wants is maggots. Because yeah. he's the one has got to fucking dump that shit and carry it to the dump. He doesn't want to fucking be driving around in a truck of maggots. So they're opponents. I think the maggots and the garbage men would be against each other. Here he is, the universal champion, Roman Reigns. His opponent, Maggot. Doesn't pass the name test, does it? No, I don't think so. Well, that was the PWI 500. We hey, you know, here's the thing. They started doing that when there were... 500 somewhat legitimate pro wrestlers in the United States or even the world, apparently. And the problem is there ain't no more. And instead of backing up and saying, we're going to do a PWI 250 or whatever, and even then they're padding, uh, they got to fill it out. It becomes a, you know, they can sell. Think about it. The la the bottom 200 people, most of the time, they're just going to buy those magazines for themselves and their family because they're mentioned in it. And so they're going to sell more magazines by putting the people that nobody knows than they are if they just cut it down to 250 because there's not 500 real fucking known legitimate professional wrestlers in this goddamn business anymore, apparently. Should AI wrestlers be included? I don't care what goddamn company it is, AI Wrestling, FU Wrestling. No, I, would an AI, not until Ari and Nick and all of the Hollywood folks start doing that for the program. No, you shouldn't include artificial wrestlers. Well, Jim, this morning as we are recording, a lot of people have been sending me in some quotes from John Moxley on a program. Oh, boy. He was speaking on the Believe in Pro Wrestling podcast. Here's a quote. Good, good to know he's hitting all the high-rated high programs. Do you think I'm obligated? Do I have to do the voice? I think you have to. Nothing to me is worse or does more damage than just the traveling. For years, it was like traveling was my job. The wrestling part was kind of reward at the end of the day. You know your life becomes traveling at a certain point in this game. It's really amazing how that adds up on your body and your joints and stuff. The doctors last year told me I have the arthritis of a 70-year-old man. And that was quite humbling. That was a year or two ago. So by now, it's like a 72-year-old man. <laughs> I don't move very well in the mornings. But thank God, shows are at night. Because by then... I'm pretty loosened up. If the wrestling shows took place in the morning, like Saturday morning superstars, <laughs> if we started doing like those early territory style studio TV tapings on like Sunday mornings, I would retire. I'd be done. <laughs> Lots of times I can't even move before noon. So what are your thoughts on John Moxley, the arthritis of a 70, uh, well, at least a 70-year-old man by diagnosis, 72-year-old man by his own diagnosis. Well, but here's the thing. Is it exponentially, since he's only 40, but it's like he's 70, is two years, is that like dog years? Would he now have the arthritis of a 77-year-old man or something? 
And by the way, he didn't have to worry about studio wrestling television in the territory days because he wouldn't have been on them, maybe as a job guy. Uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, I'm not going to laugh about a guy's legitimate bad medical diagnosis and make fun of him, but it's, it, it, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at, at the diagnosis. I don't know why he would be, because he, by choice and by design, spends his life going through furniture. If it's not an AEW, then he goes and works the garbage matches on the garbage shows from Garbage Championship Wrestling with his friend, the bank-addicted drug robber. And they hit each other with shit and go through furniture and wrap each other up in barbed wire or whatever the fuck. And he, he blades when he has his morning cereal and all the unnecessary shit that he does to try to convince, I believe himself that he's a badass because he, you know, you can, you can see that he genuinely believes that what he's doing is good. He just looks like shit and is unconvincing in every way. But the punishment that he's dealing out to himself in trying to do all this shit is legitimate. So I'm not surprised that he's got arthritis and or bad joints or bad spines or bad anything else because of what you see him doing every fucking week for no reason where it's just become mundane and people laugh at him for, you know, at least for the constant cutting of himself, if not for the goofiness of the constant bumps that he doesn't really sell to begin with. When was the first time you heard guys in the locker room talking about arthritis? Younger guys, not necessarily like a guy in his 50s or anything. Um, you know, it, it, the guys in the locker rooms didn't really talk about arthritis. They didn't say, oh, geez, my arthritis is bothering me. They'd say, oh, my knees bother me, my elbows bother me. Nobody would know what it was because you wouldn't go to the doctor as long as you were still ambulatory and able to move around. But it, it, truthfully and honestly, I didn't hear anybody talking about arthritis specifically. They knew, yeah, I banged it, or I took the bump on the concrete, or I tore my knee last year and it gives me pride. They knew kind of what the origination was of whatever they were fucking selling at that point. but. I, you know, again, in the territory days, either as a fan or when I was in the locker rooms in the 80s, even in the early 90s, surgery was very, not rare, but, but not, it was very unusual. And yes, a lot of times guys would try to do without it or go without it because they couldn't pay for it, didn't have insurance or whatever. But a lot of cases, guys just didn't need surgery. Hey, when did getting a scope become a common thing that it was just an easy, not easy, but you know, it could be a relatively quick turnaround. When did that become more frequent? The first time I ever heard about what the fuck it was, was when they did it to me. That was 1986. I don't know when they started scoping stuff rather than just surgery, but I mean, I'd, I'd been around guys broke their leg. Or, you know, several guys broke hands or, you know, somebody, yes, had a knee injury, but you, you know, it wasn't constant. Guys 
didn't get hurt regularly. And they, you know, they, it was more of the element of, yeah, I got my tooth knocked out or my head busted open or my eye blacked or, you know, things like that rather than, oh, we need to fucking do surgery and you have need to have rehab. This is a modern, I'm not saying it never happened, but again, the plethora of it and the severity, you know, is, is magnified extensively in modern times. Well, Jim, uh, we only have a few more things left. I do want to mention, though, number 369 in the PWI 500, my first time seeing this wrestler's name, BEEF! <laughs> All in caps. BEEF! Is, is it an update of the meat gimmick they gave Sean Stajak? Oh, maybe, maybe. I mean, meat has been a popular chant recently. Number 330, Horus. Warhorse. Just, There's a name I haven't seen in a while. 331. Does he still rule ass? At 331, he does indeed. But Jim, before we uh, get moving any further, real quick here, as we are recording, WWE, or I guess I should say Endeavor TKO, not a surprise, but they're in the midst right now of layoffs, and I guess you know a little bit about this. People knew it was coming, and now it's happening. Well, yeah, I was just reading this, and I was... You know, yes, they bought the company. They can do what they want. But apparently what they did was they sent out an email to all the employees that work in the office in Stamford, or I, I guess maybe TV, any, all of the office employees, not the wrestlers or the producers or whatever, but the, the rest of the company, right? And they said, they said, work from home on Friday and we will Zoom you basically if we need to call you and fire you. And so that's what now everybody, as we speak, is sitting at home on pins and needles waiting to hear whether they're going to get fired or not. And I've seen reports of names I've never heard, you know, in marketing or whatever. Uh, people that have only worked there a couple of years are being let go. But according to what I've been told, if they fire you today, that's it. You don't get to go back to, to the office and say goodbye to everybody or have the fucking cake or a goddamn office party or, hey, we're going to miss you, George, or sorry, Sally. What do they think that somebody's going to bring in a fucking automatic rifle and just go postal on the whole fucking building? They, they don't trust their own employees to come to work so they can tell them in person, yeah, sorry. Where we bought this other, or not bought the other company, but all these companies are together now, and we got people that can do your shit. But thank you. Here's a cake. You'll be working here for two weeks. Do you need somebody to help you clean out your desk? No, just go home and don't come back if we call you and tell you. What the fuck is that all about? It's about the flywheel. That's part of what makes the flywheel work. You get rid of every single possible extra person and you make but it yeah, the bare minimum but in a rude fashion well, it, it, you know fuck we don't trust you to come back and and tell you to your face like a human being we're gonna zoom you at home but don't come back and get your shit and cause a fucking stir you're done don't say goodbye to your friends or whatever the case eating the commissary one more time you know what if i'd have been one of those employees i'd have called nick khan first thing this morning and said, hey, Nick, I just want to 
Just want to tell you, thank you for uh, the time, but fuck you. I'm done. I'm beating you to the punch. I'm I'm firing you. I, you're you're done in my life. I'm moving on. Yeah. Would you like that if someone did that to you? No. No. Well, I mean, you always hear. I mean, with wrestling, you always hear it goes back to like Steve Austin making the big deal out of being fired by FedEx by Eric Bischoff. You know, he went public with that. He went on ECW talking about that. It became a thing. What is the proper code of conduct to fire someone, whether it's a wrestler or wrestling office personnel? Well, I mean, WCW fired me and Bobby and Stan every year, technically, because they sent us fucking termination notices on the, in the period of our contract where they had to give us notice or it would roll over again. And that meant that we had to start over from scratch, get a new fucking contract. I think with Austin, he not only did that, but it was, it was not even, we're negotiating a new one. You're just, you're fucking done. You don't fire guys by legal letter or you shouldn't in the wrestling business. I don't know what they do in sports entertainment anymore. Um, if, if the booker should at least call on the phone, if not see in person, you know, the, the guy and tell him. And the thing, the the phone call would be if the guy had done something, you know, where the the promoter or the booker himself said, all right, he might call him up and say, well, you fucked up and you're done. But if you're just giving a guy his notice, then you expect him to be around for the average notice period was two weeks. But like Vince Sr. especially, and I think Crockett, wanted six weeks at one point because they had such involved territories. So the booker would say, hey, I'm giving you your notice. We're going to finish you up in X number of weeks, probably two. But, you know, let me, I can call so-and-so in Kansas City or whatever and see if they got something. Or the guy might say, no, nah, I got a place to go. Or can you help me get something or whatever? That's the way it used to be done. If you did something to get heat, chances are you'd hear that you're fucking fired. Get the fuck out or don't come if you're not here now. But if you're just giving a guy's notice and it's just because it's time for him to go, then you got to tell him in person. Well, Jim, you know, leaving your job, figuring out your future, your next step, if you have a family, what you're going to do, a mortgage, there's so many things. Some people may say, now's the time to take a risk and start a business. How am I going to set up an online store? You know, some people might say that. And I would say to those people that say that, that I got the answer for you. Because if you've got something that can be sold, our friends at Shopify can sell it. Now, whether you're manufacturing, I don't know, seat warmers for a fucking 57 Chevy or organic olive oil squeezed the hard way, whatever it may be, Whatever your product is, you need the platform. You need the place to see. You need the store. You need the place to do your business. And that's where Shopify comes in. It's the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. And I'll tell you, bro, a lot of these businesses never even knew that they needed an online platform until Shopify went into their brick and mortar store, pulled all their merchandise out, threw it in the street and said, this is not the way to do things. That is not what happened in any way. Well, they reformed some people's thinkings. 
No, they didn't do that either. They, they, they did that because they've shown people there's a better way. They've shown people there's a better way just by existing and being. Yes, and you can exist and be with them because they're easy. Because Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. They've got an in-person POS system. You've smartened me up to that. They don't come to you in person and check and see if you're a piece of shit. It's an in-person point-of-sale system. Every time somebody tries to buy something from you, they send a person there to pick up the money personally. An in-person POS system. They've also got an all-in-one e-commerce platform. And what that is, is they have a platform. You put all of the stuff you're selling on it, and then they wrap it up and ship it out. Well, no, not exactly. That is not... No, that's not... Well, it. well, it's close enough. Well, no, and, uh, it's almost there, but not even close enough. Let's say you got sports-themed items. Let's say you're selling signed sneakers. Well, then, then they can fix you up no matter what your product. Because they've got the internet. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, even, it says okay. right here, if you're yeah. selling signed sneakers or offering official outfielders outfits, they'll sell them. And Shopify <laughs> has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. These things convert right in front of them. They're like the Transformers. They just start clicking out and they turn into other items. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. You know Transformers? Huh? You've watched Transformers? I've seen them. You know, just walking down the street where they start switching into other items and then they, they pop wheels out and drive down the road. I need to try that Sprite Zero. The Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. Were you aware of that? I am now. And that means there's 90% they've got <laughs> left to take over. Starting with you. You better turn that shit no, over no, to no, them no, because no, they no. know what's best for you. You, you make it sound so hostile. No, they're going to help you. And of course, no. they're here to help you. And they can help you make money with your fine products like sign sneakers. That's exactly right. And they're going to help you whether you like it or not. Even if it's against your will, they're no, going to do what's best for no, you. No, they will do what you want because they work for you. Shopify's here to yeah, help you. They're working for you, making you money so you can retire. It's tough love. They're going to show you how to sell this stuff and they're going to help you sell it and i'll tell you what if they sell all of your stuff and you don't make more you're going to be in trouble with them because they're demanding no people. they put they're they're your no excuses business partner shopify that's exactly wrong one of the benefits of shopify is you're controlling your own business you're running your own business doing it the way you want to you have the inventory you want yes and Shopify's here to complement that and help you out that's what it says right here. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. So you better not try to give them a bunch of excuses, a bunch of who shot John about how you've done this thing wrong. They're going to straighten you out. You can sell without needing to code or design. You just bring your ideas. And Shopify will then take them, and as Vince McMahon used to, ball them up and throw them over their right shoulder, and they'll open you up a store the right way. And I'll tell you what, they can customize your online store with gorgeous, flexible templates and hot and flexible wives and powerful tools like jackhammers and fucking drilling machines that the coal miners use. And they'll build this online store. It'll be impossible. A tornado wouldn't blow it down. So right now, 
If you got something you want to sell on the internet, Shopify can fix your store up and maintain it. And sometimes they have to do things that you might not see the wisdom in now, but it's, it's tough love for your future. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash JCE. That's all lowercase, by the way. And again, we, we know it's important because they put all lowercase in capital letters, JCE, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash JCE. Take your business to the next level today. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period. Who knows how long it'll last? As long as they like you, they won't kick you out in the street. Are you there? Shopify! Oh, you scared me. Well, I was picking up a program here. Let's end with a program or two from Guess the Program, if that's okay with you, Jim. Well, I'd rather do that than anything else we've done. All right, well, let me uh, take this one here and make a note. Jim, this program... This is Guess the Program, ladies and gentlemen. I get programs from my personal collection, and I hit Jim with the card, and he comes up with the location, the date, and the gate. Oh, come on now. Well, you're don't, really raise the, don't raise the bar <laughs> here. You're really good. All right, here is the lineup. Two other bouts will be announced. But the feature event, one fall, 30-minute time limit. Dino Bravo and Dominic Bravo versus Johnny Costas and Mike Valentino. The semi-wind-up. Best three falls, 45-minute time limit. Ronnie Etchison versus Kangaroo Kennedy. <laughs> okay. And the main event, best of three falls, 60-minute time limit. Saya Nandor from Budapest versus Mike Sharp. Ooh. We are in the province of Ontario. Um... No. No? Not not Ontario, no. God damn it. I was trying to remember what province this is in. Then you've just told me it's in Canada. It is certainly in Canada. Okay, then it has to be Quebec. It is not Quebec. What? Come on, there's a few All more. Right. There's a few more you can go to to pick. From. Well, wait a minute. Okay, we've got Dino Bravo and Dominic Bravo. Now, people have heard of Dino Bravo, but Dominic... I don't know if that was a, I don't think that was a legitimate brother. It may have been a gimmick brother at the time, but since he's working with one of the people on the opposite team is Mike Valentino, that was Baron Mikel Cicluna before he was Baron Mikel Cicluna, and which indicates this is vintage. Ronnie Etchison, best known for being a star in the central states, but none of this rest of this card indicated it would be the central states. So Etchison was still young enough to be on tour. Kangaroo Kennedy has been lost to history. And Cyan Nandor versus Mike Sharp, that wouldn't be Mark, Mike Sharp Jr. That would be the original Mike Sharp. And Nandor was a huge name in Toronto in, was it the 40s and early 50s? So, God damn it, what other part of Canada would this be in the, I would think, 
early 60s at the most recent, and only because Dino Bravo, how the fuck old was he? Is it the is it the Dino Bravo I'm thinking of? Or is this an outlaw team that was very <laughs> goddamn uh, just coincidental? Was that a guess in any way? Just early 60s? That's the only thing you're guessing? Well, no. Now, because it can't be the early 60s as I'm looking at the rest of these names. That can't be Dino Bravo. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 1955. And uh, and if it's not Quebec or Ontario, would it be Alberta? The sales pavilion, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Okay. Tuesday, September 18th, 1962. Shit! Dino Bravo is not the... Dino Bravo, that would become famous later. Of course, that wasn't Dino Bravo's real name, the one everyone knows. Dominic Bravo is Dominic DiNucci. Son of a bitch. So Dominic DiNucci and Baron Mikel Cicluna were on opposite sides of the match there under their previous identities. It's, uh, okay, that's, again, I'm surprised that Mike Sharp uh, Sr. was uh, main eventing at that late with Cyan Nandor, but it does make sense that Cicluna wouldn't have been around in, in 1955. All right. Well, here's something interesting from the program. Kaniski busy with defenses. The role of a champion can be wearying. Gene Kaniski is finding. Title defenses of his NAWA World Championship and public appearances in that capacity are keeping the former Edmonton football star occupied. Because of his commitments in North America, he has been unable to accept some lucrative offers from abroad. And I wonder what her name was, that broad that was making him lucrative offers. And in three nights, just recently, he attended sport banquets in Los Angeles, Dallas, and Indianapolis as wrestling's representative. So there's a little bit about Gene Kaniski. Midget's coming. That's always a big deal. Jim, this next program... (laughs) This one, I just love the way you dropped that in. Midget's coming. Jim, the uh, next program here, the opening bout, Eddie Sharkey versus George Gadaski. Okay. A bonus bout, Bob Boyer versus Mark Starr. A special event, Alaskan versus Billy Red Cloud. The semi-windup, Race and Hennig versus Parks and Gilbert. The main event, Vern Gagne versus Killer Kowalski. Well, obviously we are in the AWA. And by the way, is that Killer Kowalski, is that Stan the Big K Kowalski that Gagne is working with? Rather than the original Killer Kowalski? I thought this was Killer, because by this point, I would have thought that Stan Kowalski yep. would have been identified separately. I bet you. I don't know, because they... Okay, we'll get back to this, but they yeah. brought they brought Stan the Big K Kowalski into Indianapolis as late as, I believe it was 74, trying, and Sam Miniker was calling him the original Killer Kowalski. 
in the Midwest, they they didn't use Walter as often as they did Stan Kowalski because he had been a name for Vern in the early 50s. Nevertheless, Eddie Sharkey versus George Scrapiron Gadaski in the opening match. This means that was before Sharkey and Vern's falling out. Bob Boyer. The falling out being when Eddie Sharkey shot up Vern Gagne's office because reportedly Vern had hit on Sharkey's wife, right? Yes. Yeah, that falling out. But he only fired three or four shots, and I think he pointed most of them at the ceiling. Uh, Bob Boyer would later become Chief Bobby Bold Eagle and would be partners with Billy Red Cloud in uh, the WWA in Indianapolis for Bruiser and Snyder. Race and Hennig were the top heel tag team in the AWA and maybe in the world at that time. And they were working with Reggie Parks, who would later on be the belt maker, and the Gilbert was Doug the Pro Gilbert. Uh, and then Ganyan and whatever Kowalski. So this is the AWA. It's gonna be it's gonna be in Minnesota. And what was Race and Hennig's run? 67 through 69, was it? Or 66 through 68? Off top of my head. Uh, Billy Red Cloud there. Let's go with uh, 1968 in Minnesota. The date? February 12th, 1967. Ah! I was about to say, uh, I believe it's St. Paul. Yeah, it's St. Paul. St. Paul. That's what it is. St. Paul, Minnesota. I almost went with uh, Minneapolis, but it's St. Paul here. All right. Well, that was pretty close. Here's another one for you, Jim. Opening bout, Al Smith versus Cowboy Rocky Lee. Ramu Zabo <laughs> versus Reyes Rodriguez. Big Jim Bernard versus Jack Nichols for the Ladies World Championship, Slave Girl Mula versus Nell Baker, two out of three falls, one hour time limit, and the main event, one hour time limit, one fall, Carl Von Hess versus Ricky Starr. Oh, good Lord. Um... Okay, the, the second and third matches, I can't help you. I don't know who those people are. Al Smith, was. would this have been one of the famous Smith Brothers tag team and they both had beards like the Smith Brothers cough drops? I'm not sure. Obviously, that's the only Al Smith I know of during his time. Cowboy Rocky Lee. Why, why am I going blank on who he is or who he became, the other name of him? I am too. Um, Moolah versus Nell Baker means for the world title means it's somewhere after Moolah won the title in 1956 and 1984. So that narrows it down. And Von Hess and Ricky Starr, Ricky Starr would have been working in this country and in main events and with Von Hess. Uh, God damn it. I'm trying to figure out what... That's really the only match I have to even figure out what territory it might have been. Moolah could have been anywhere. Um, this is somewhere in the 
northeastern United States in 1961. It is a Tuesday night, February 19th, 1957, Ah. Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, at least I got the fucking general geographic location. So this was right after Moolah won the tournament in Baltimore, and she's coming back to defend the title. It has a picture of her face here, Slave Girl Moolah, Ladies World Champion, Luthez, World Heavyweight Champion. The, but this uh, was this Ed Contos or the Contos brothers, promoters at that uh, time? I don't see their name on here, and that's actually what I was looking for is the promoter's name. We have Jack Vendetti as the announcer, and it has a stuff about the Athletic Commission. The professional wrestling boom continues full tilt. Proof of the pudding is the turnaway crowd of 19,700, which jammed Madison Square Garden recently. About 5,000 other fans were unable to get in to see, among others, fabulous Antonino Rocca and the artful Vern Gagne. Rocca and Gagne scored a tag team victory over Hammerin' Hans Schmidt and Clouten, and Clouten Carl Gunness, the villains <laughs> in this particular Trumpist, uh, Trump fest, excuse me. Thump fest, not Trump. Thump fest. Thump fest. All four bone benders are well, <laughs> this is written so funny. All four Bonebenders are well-known to Baltimore Matt followers, having thrilled the Coliseum clientele on many, many occasions. Incidentally, in line with the wrestling boom, Coliseum attendance has more than doubled in the last five years. And from Chicago comes word that 64 Matt shows in the Windy City area last year drew more than 230,000 customers who paid $400,000. And just to think, there were those who laughed 25 years ago when professional wrestling decided to put some oomph into the action. (laughs) Needless to say, the Grapple for Gold Brigade is here to stay. That's an interesting uh, editorial here in this program. What do you think of that? Well, and a lot of times, because in those days, remember, obviously you do, you got a big collection, the Wrestling As You Like It and Wrestling Life magazines from Chicago, they would print the attendance figures and athletic commission, the gate figures to, to show how big wrestling was and how popular it was and et cetera. And that was something that the other markets picked up on, but that show, Baltimore at that time was not a full fledged, you know, uh, w, there was no WWF at that point, but it wasn't even a, a Vince McMahon city. He was running the garden, and there were still these local promoters, even in Baltimore. So they got Von Hess from the, you know, the Madison Square Garden events to come in and Ricky Starr. That that's their main event, and then they're using Moolah because she's from the Carolinas, and they're also talking about what goes on in Chicago because the local promoters would try to get somebody off the Chicago TV that'd been hot, like Vern Gagne or Hans Schmidt or whoever the fuck. So Baltimore was, it still wasn't a big money wrestling town in the fifties, but they, they got a variety of talent and it wasn't until Vince senior really, it took him years to annex Boston and Pittsburgh and Baltimore and, 
all of those towns to make that Northeast one entire territory. Well, there it is, Jim, a rather quick, short guest of program. And I sucked. Either on that last one was a rib, though. Give me one match to fucking go on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How about this one? Real quick. Oh, boy. Now, now, Now I've stuck my foot in it. Bobby Thomas versus Cowboy Ronnie Hill. Gene Dundee versus Hobo Brazil. (laughs) Golden Boy versus Billy Graham. Bull Montana versus Tony Sinatra. Midget girls, midget girls. Baby Doll Cheryl versus Dolly Page. And the main event. She would, she would later work as Honey Girl Page. The main event for the World's Championship Tag Team title. Buddy Lee and Ilio DiPaolo versus Gypsy Joe and Bob Stanley. Jesus Christ. Um. <laughs> oh, by the way, it has it here just to let you know. Leaping Tony Sinatra is Paul DeMarco. Oh, my God. Um, was Golden Boy Ron Dupree? It is Ron Dupree. And Bobby Thomas popped me for a second because that was Thomas Marlin's name he worked as, but it wasn't the it's not the same one here. Uh oh, by the way, here's some news coming back soon. Retired, undefeated world's women's champion Alma Mills returning to that <laughs> action. I'm looking for my title back. It'll be somewhat like when Jane Cargill returned. <laughs> um Hobo Brazil was a goddamn Jack Pfeffer guy. Gene Dundee was a legitimate talent. Later on, would he he turned into Flash Monroe, didn't he? One of the Monroes? I believe Not so. Rocket. One, one of the no. Monroes. I thought it was Flash, but it was definitely I think one it's of Flash. Them. Yeah. Um, God, <sighs> Gypsy Joe, not the Tennessee one, but Buddy Lee and Elio DePaulo, that's Nashville collides with Buffalo. I don't know what to think. I'm thinking this is an outlaw show in the Northeast, whether it's New York State or possibly Massachusetts, from the very early 60s, 1962, 63. Does Jack Pfeffer have a hand in this? Jack Pfeffer certainly has a hand in it. And remember, if it's booked by Santos... It's big time. Tony Santos, Massachusetts. Boston Arena, Thursday, June 25th, 1964. Four. I was close. And by the way, the next Grand Ole Opry at the Boston Arena will be Saturday, October 31st. Good God. Boston, Massachusetts from the mid-40s through the end of the 1950s was one of the major cities for wrestling. And they had their own world champion. And Boston, a city that size, ran weekly, three weeks at the arena and then a big show at the Garden. And by the early 60s, Tony Santos is running shows like this and Pfeffer's got his guys in there. Well, let's wrap up with this. Here's the weekly lineup. Big time wrestling every Tuesday, Athletic Field Ballpark, Rain or Shine, Manchester, New Hampshire. Prices $125 and $175, tax included. Every Wednesday... The Arenatorium, Route 6, <laughs> North, Doubt, uh, North Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Once again, 125 and 175 tax included. Every Thursday, the Boston Arena, 238, 
St. Botolph Street. That has the phone number here. Prices $150, $2, $3, tax included. Every Friday, Witchy's Arena. Route 1, North Attleboro. North Attleboro. That's right, 125 and 175. And every Saturday, Mill Hill Arena, West Yarmouth, Massachusetts, 150 and $2 tickets. So the New England Booking Office for Wrestling, it says here at the bottom, outlaw guys and a lot of guys who would start there. Les Thatcher started there. Les Thatcher started there. Uh, Ron Dupree started there. Chris Colt started there. Pat Patterson's first place working in the United States was there. That's where he met the love of his life, Louis Dondero, actually, while working there. But they actually ran a pretty full schedule. Well, and and that's the thing is Paul Bowser in Boston, as I mentioned, it was a goddamn money-making machine up there. It was a huge. They had their own, you know, wrestling world champion, and they had the, the Casey brothers, the Irishman, and it was huge. And then somebody's got to do a study of Boston and, and, you know, see exactly what the timeline was. But by the time that Tony Santos was running this small territory, you see the talent and it wasn't what it was before. And then that's when, what was it? Not a couple years later, Vince senior said, I can fucking annex Boston, take this over. And, and there it became right. Well, eventually he would get Boston, and like you said, and that's an interesting story, just the way he kind of brought the Northeast together, and that was his power base. That's why when Vince Jr. took over in 82, everyone says, oh, he paid a million dollars for it. It was making many more (laughs) millions than that, and he just had to take some of that money to pay for it. But with that, we wrap things up. Jim, let's get one song and get out of here. We'll have more songs next week, and we're going to pick some theme songs pretty soon, too. And by the way, while you're talking about that, I'm, I'm... I'm loving uh, the the girls that did the uh, the great song a couple of weeks ago, and now I've I've lost the the name of their band no, again. It's a girl and a boy that did a the girl song. and a boy. The ex bombers. You're talking the ex bomber, not axe bomber, but the ex bombers. Whose finishing maneuver was the axe bomber? That was Hogan. That's right. All right. Well, let's try this. This was sent to Courtney Drive Through Gmail dot com. It's a submission for the drive through intro outro themes an original song written and performed by myself. This is Steve Johnson, Coventry, Rhode Island. Not Coventry where the specials are from. He's gone from Memphis to Mid-South down to world class. Jim Crockett, WCW. He started Smoky Mountain, went to WWF, then Ohio Valley, TNA, and Ring of Honor, too. Jim Cornette's drive through Listen to Corny shoot. He's watching modern wrestling and he's wondering why it don't make sense. So thank you, fuck you, bye. He's managed the Midnight Vader and Yoko. Heavenly bodies, Owen and Davey. Camp Cornette is a surefire bet. Better than a bunch of children playing wrestling on TV. Jim Cornette's drive through The questions come from you. He's setting out the monster straight. You know he don't lie. It's his podcast. So thank you, fuck you, bye. Tennis racket in his hand. Shooting so you'll understand. The wisdom. 
wisdom coursing through his veins. With his co-host Brian, the podcasting lion, he dreams about pissing on the grave of shit stain. <laughs> Jim Cornette's drive through entertaining you. You know he's watching modern wrestling and he's wondering why it don't make sense. So thank you, fuck you, bye. James A. Cornette, so thank you, fuck you, bye. A solo! I guess he gave us a tail there, and there it oh, is okay. <laughs> from Steve Johnson. I thought he was going to come back. Yeah, very singer-songwriter-ish. Uh, Henley and Fry, Jackson Brown, I Linda thought, I, thought it was, I thought he was messing with us when he said it's an original song. I was like, oh, he's doing Take It Easy. Where's he going? <laughs> but then he switched things up. He knew the way through to my heart. He certainly did. Which involve having a colonoscopy. Uh, no, that was... That was too good of a piece of music and, and artistry and singing for, for our program. Yeah, what can we do? I mean, that is really good. <laughs> we need to be able so to do good. something It's with like it. a good piece of music, not just a rib. Like he should be on a stage. Yes. <laughs> you know? Not like these fucking jack-off <laughs> reprobates that we normally fucking showcase around no, here. No, like there should be wind blowing through his hair. He should be on the <laughs> stage playing this song, not setting it to us here. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. That was once again Steve Johnson, Coventry, Rhode Island. And with that. Oh, he's man. trying to find a sound effect, folks. I'm trying to find one specific one, and this keeps happening. And now at this point, it's my fault. At this point, ha it's my fault. Right, how, how, about, how about this one? <laughs> Well, oh, ooh, okay. Well, with that, the drive more cowbell, more marimba. I don't know where my uh, pentatonic one is, but we'll be back on the Jim Cornette experience in a few days. Before you know it, wherever you find your favorite podcast, go through the YouTube channel, subscribe today, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections. Go there, share from there, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Of course, patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the early days of the show, the archive going back to 2013, patreon.com slash Cornette. He's on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. I'm on Twitter at Great Brian Last, the 605 Super Podcast, the Mothership, 605pod.com, and of course, the wrestling news, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Cornette's Collectibles, what's going on, Jim? We talked about it earlier. At Cornette's Collectibles, Stephen P. knew he's going to sue the shit out of a few people. 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. That's it. To all my Jewish brothers and sisters out there, happy Rosh Hashanah, happy New Year. But until the Jim Cornette experience, and next week right back here on the drive-thru, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last, and I'm out of breath. Tell you!